Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com gom. There's over 180,000 titles for you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Thanks for listening, everyone, and enjoy the show. Any last words, old man? God's help you, Theon Greyjoy. Now you are truly lost. Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan. <laughs> and I'm Lady Kristen of House McWeggle Burgino. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 58. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones season 2, episode 6, The Old Gods and the New. And just for anybody who's not aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast from the perspective of someone who's seen the series through Season 7, Episode 7. So this is your spoiler warning. Let's jump right into it. Sounds good to me. All right, you want to start off? Uh, yeah, I'll start off. Um... First of all, this was a uh, chock full, chock full episode of information and people and events and um, just real, a lot to go over. I think. So let's see. Number five. I am just gonna go and jump right out, and I want to talk. I want to just get it out of the way, and I want to <laughs> just. Talk about Baelish right okay, now. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we see our Lord Baelish, our little finger Lord Peter Baelish, showing up at Heron Hall. Um, right when I think Arya was getting kind of comfortable with Tywin, um, you know, she's starting to just kind of find her groove. I think a little bit, like maybe she found a little spot for herself. Yeah. Um, you know, until she could figure out what she was doing. And then, you know, she hears that Baelish is coming in and um, it just completely throws everything off. Like she just stops being able to think it looks like. Yeah, it's right. It's right at a moment where Tywin had complimented her um, because that guy looked like a dumbass and couldn't read. And he's like, my cupbearer reads better than you, you know. And, uh, and she, she said... And he, yeah, and he said, how did your father die? And she said, loyalty. Oh, but before that, though, remember, he's like, put the put the book away, girl. Maybe you should devise our next battle plans while you're at it, right? And That's so, right. And so she's like, sort of like brims and smiling and goes and puts the book down. And right as she puts the book down, Baelish is announced and her smile just disappears immediately. <laughs> she was probably so nervous. Yeah. Yeah, um, totally. So I don't know if you've noticed that you noticed it because I thought it was super obvious this time. 
um, on the two voices of Baelish. Oh, I keep and forgetting to pay attention for that. This is the perfect scene to do it. Okay, um, I'm going to go back and comes, watch it. He comes walking in and he's just like, Lord Tywin, blah, blah, blah. I'm Lord, you know, like he comes in all confident and stuff. And then they start talking about the Tyrells and and uh, and dead King Renly. And, um, and Littlefinger leans in and he goes, I just want to say that I think that this is a great opportunity for blah, 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 blah. Right. And Tywin's <laughs> like, cut the bullshit, man. You know, and what, what did he say? He said something like, um, hang on. He said, yes, a crisis is an opportunity. What other brilliant insights do you have you brought for me today? Right. Yeah. I have written down Baelish paraphrases. Chaos is a ladder to Tywin who says, obviously. So <laughs> after he says that, though, Baelish goes back to his normal Baelish voice and he never speaks in his little throaty, clever voice again because oh. Tywin's like, I have no time for your bullshit. <laughs> It's like, calm down, little finger. So that was very cool to me that, you know, it, I, I felt a little validated because <laughs> I've talked about it so much. I'm right. Like, that's great. See, look, it's a thing. I swear. Watching through now, you can catch it every time. It's perfect. Yeah. But um, so I was watching this with um, I, I had my parents in town um, over the holiday and we're all sitting down to it. My dad is a really big Game of Thrones fan. Nice. And um. So the four of us are watching it last night and I stop it and I just start yelling. He knows, he knows. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm telling you right now, Tywin and Baelish both know that that is Arya Stark. Oh man. And we got in this huge heated debate for like 10 minutes about it. We rewound it. We watched it again. Nobody believed me. I, I held to it. So, yeah, since we're talking about this, we need to like really talk about it. I think, you know, I have this the anomalous cupbearer scene as my number four. So should we just combine? I think that we should. All right. I think it's smart. <laughs> yeah. So Arya gets freaked out as soon as Baelish comes in and, and you see it on her face and she's sort of like trying to clear the table and do this stuff without him noticing her. And um, that whole thing with the chaos is a ladder thing happens and she's listening and and Littlefinger is basically there to hook up Tywin with House Tyrell, which we know ends up happening. Right. Um, so he's it's it's pretty funny. Tywin isn't happy with the Tyrells and how they betrayed the crown and his grandson. And, and uh, Littlefinger says perhaps they should be punished someday after Stannis and Rob Stark are defeated. And so that foreshadows Jamie wiping out House Tyrell in season seven that we saw this year. Oh, yeah. Ooh, nice catch. Which is, yeah, like there's so much of that in this episode. It's crazy. And Arya is listening to all of it. And um, there's some great acting by Aiden Gillen here as he seems to take note of Arya as she's filling his wine glass over his shoulder. And he sort of like quickly, like his head sort of jerks and he, he looks over and then it's right as she starts walking back around the table to go get more wine or something. And his glance follows her, but only part way. And it's just enough for the viewer to be like, does he know? Does he know? And then his glance sort of trails away from her as she keeps moving. And you're like, huh, maybe he doesn't know. But like, it was just like the perfect acting right there. He like really made it ambiguous. Yeah. And he, it's like, he's, he's triple looking at her. Yeah. You know, because he when when she spilled the wine, he like really got a good look, and then right. you know he keeps like looking around Tywin and dodging his look a little bit. Like it, 
you're right. It, it goes from him just kind of like kind of glancing over like, wait, do I know that person? And then he's like bobbing and weaving after a few minutes trying to catch a good glimpse of her. Right. And so like the next thing that happens is Arya spills the wine, like you said. Right. And that right. that sort of intrigues Tywin because he seems to take note and he goes, huh. And because he's he's so used to seeing her being like so slick and on point, you know, and so I think he he realizes that Baelish's presence is making her nervous and he's got to be wondering why. And he knows she's highborn. He knows that she's lying about, you know, like her father being a stonemason and all this stuff. Like he knows that, you know, he's been he's caught her in lies before. So he's got to be thinking about why. How does he how does she know who this is? Like there's Baelish is making her nervous when he knows that she's from the north. Right, right. And he may be speculating that, you know, she may have seen him in King's Landing if it's Arya, right? Mm-hmm. So Baelish seems to take note of Arya again momentarily as he looks up and sees her, you know, after look, having looked down at the spilled wine. And he, like, really starts to take note, but then he's distracted, and I have in parentheses, strategically by Yes, ta- you yes, know, by Tywin, Tywin redirects him. Right, and he he asks him about riding to Highgarden and sort of redirects his attention back to himself, trying to keep his eyes off Arya, it seemed. And then as... as and then he says, go away. Right, so she... So, oh, I, I, I didn't catch I keep stepping on you because I'm excited. No, no, that's fine, it's perfect. <laughs> and, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice that he told her to go away. Yeah, um, he told her, that'll be all. Now go, now go go away or go do something else or he told her to leave okay so she starts leaving walking around behind him again and that's when it gets crazy is because she um because Baelish looks right at her and like makes a point of like like his eyes like narrow and his head turns and he's really looking at her and that's when he brings up mentioning meeting with Catelyn Stark and he's it's like he's watching her to gauge her reaction as he mentions her mother's name or something um and she doesn't really make any reaction, but that's when she she goes to leave. Um, and, le- and that's as she's walking out of the room, Baelish is mentioning the proposal regarding her daughters. Daughters, um, right. Yeah, right. So if Baelish has figured it out, he's he's still, you know, operating under his cover that they're trying to negotiate based on both of of Arya and Sansa, you know. But even right, but even if if Tywin does know it, I I don't think that he would even he wouldn't tell Baelish. He wouldn't he wouldn't. I think that he was in a weird way, like protecting Arya at that point. I think he yeah. told her to leave because he's like he doesn't want this like chess piece to be revealed. Because I just joffrey is just too unstable for anybody uh, and cersei is just an idiot right i agree at this point he finds out about her he's going to keep her close to his vest and keeping her in that position close to her with her ignorant that he knows who she is mm-hmm. and her safe and under his control is a pretty slick position to be in mm-hmm. so much going on in this scene it's a very well crafted scene very well I crafted think. good camera angles great acting really good mm-hmm. timing um and yeah it's really intricate there's a lot going on here a lot of information a lot of intrigue like a lot of foreshadowing it's crazy so Baelish has a lot of little birds I mean do you think maybe no 
birds at there's Harrenhal. no way he would have he would have known any he 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 there's just no way he would have gotten a whisper about this he looked genuinely surprised yeah because i mean Harrenhal is not like really a stable location it's sort of operating as like a prison camp at this point almost you know military outpost yeah. for um it doesn't seem like a place where Baelish would necessarily have a plant like i mean are there a lot of kids running around there no, but Varys was the one with the kids. He had, um, Baelish had the, the hose. The hose, true. He had the hose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. So, it's true. Yeah, so what what do you think it is? What's your uh, final answer here? For whether or not Tywin knows? For both of them. I'd say it's it's impossible to know. We can't really say for sure either way, but I think it's more fun to think that they're both seriously considering the possibility, at least, for sure. I could, yeah, I could get on board with that. I thought maybe they were having like a conversation with each other by kind of being like, you know, yeah, um, let's talk about, you know, Catelyn's daughters. Right. Like Baelish was telling him, like, I know, almost. Kind of, yeah. I You know, I think Tywin doesn't miss a beat. Ne- yeah, He's... neither does Arya. No, no, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. But I just think that... Or that... Baelish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he kind of missed it at the end. At the but... end, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did Tywin, really. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> right. Okay, so Arya wins. <laughs> Arya wins this. As of now, yeah. <laughs> you may survive us, I'll survive us all, Lady Stark. Oh, both of them. Good job, girls. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my number five was um, just the question of just just the way that that scene was. That was your number four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was my number four. I love it. My number five is John Smo. John Smo. <laughs> my, <laughs> my, I, I was looking at the next word. John. My number five is John Snow, a.k.a. Mopey Jesus and Corin the Prophet. I love it. Mopey Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I know where you're going with that, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that whole scene starts off with a gorgeous flying shot, which I thought was worthy of mentioning, um, of the snowy mountains and this frozen river. It must be like a drone shot or a helicopter that's flying through this like this canyon with a, a frozen river going through it, and it's just gorgeous. Uh, the you know, it's just amazing, right? Did you notice that? Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Iceland. I know that they filmed in Iceland. And nice, it was beautiful. I've always wanted to go to Iceland. There's crazy varying terrain there. Lots of cool stuff to explore. So Ghost is wandering off to hunt, and and Corin says, "There goes your pet." And John is like, "He's he's not a pet. You know, he's he's probably you know insinuating he's more like family or you know like." He's not like something that I own. He's my companion. You know what I mean? He's not like right. a pet. You know, and and so Corin kind of brings brings goes at him from a different angle. Like, no, he's not. You know, you can't tame a wild thing. You just you can't trust a wild thing. And he's like, you know, John replies, "Ghost is different. You know, it's different with ghost." And I'm wondering if that's some sort of hint at a mental bond or something like obviously not a fully developed brand warging situation, I don't think, but some type of connection between Somewhere the two. Somewhere along the lines like what Rob has with Grey Wind. Yeah. 
And so Corin replies, so you think wild creatures have their own rules, though, their own reasons, and you'll never know them. Um, which is funny because Bran, you know, gets in the in the mind of Summer and he understands <laughs> that type of thing. So it's, it's possible that someday John could understand Ghost's reasoning if he uh, his his own his logic and rules if he ends up being able to warg with him somehow. Uh, that'd be well, cool. I took that whole speech a little differently. Cool. What did you think? Well, when he said you can't tame a wild thing, you can't trust a wild thing, wild things have their own rules and customs and you'll never know them. I thought he was talking about the wildlings. Oh, he is also, yeah. He, he immediately goes into uh, talking about the wildlings from, from that conversation too. Right. Okay. So go on. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, it was pretty funny. They're, they they go on from there. I just thought that was a cool like little you know hint at maybe a future warging or something with ghosts, like something more going on with ghosts. thought that was cool. So they go on and Corrin's talking about how the wildlings sleep during the day, move at night, and they can't do that because it's too dangerous. They could fall in crevasses, and he knows people that have like fallen in into these like voids <laughs> and stuff like that. And um, John has a cool line, a kind of prophetic line there. He says, My father always said that I'm of the North you know, and yeah. and I thought that was cool because he does does end up being king of the north. So there he is, something of the north. That's <laughs> uh, true. And uh, he, you know, it seems to be the embodiment of this this whole ice thing. And he just seems like he belongs up north to fight these White Walkers and stuff. So he obviously has a connection with the north and with the ice half of the equation. You know. Which is cool. Absolutely. So Corin chuckles and he's like, I wasn't joking. And uh, Corin's like, look around, you know, does this look like home to you? <laughs> um, and I don't know. John does seem like he belongs there. He would look totally weird if he didn't have a hundred pelts on him. Yeah. And just like snow, like covering him. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> it looks like that's just how he should be for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he makes a cool, Corin makes a cool point here where he says, we're not fighting an, an enemy. We're fighting the North, you know, like this is dangerous territory. It's the, it's like, that's what we're fighting. We're fighting the North and it will always be there. Then they, uh, they go on and he, he says to John, you know, the watch has given you a great gift and you only have one thing to give in return your mm -hmm. life right and he's like i'll gladly give my life and it's like yeah you, you will and you do uh which is funny you know it's so funny he said he's still hanging on to that party line that he's been saying since the very beginning of season one you know what the night's watch is a bunch of heroes <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and i'll yeah, yeah. gladly give my life for them you <laughs> right, know yeah, and you're yeah, just yeah. like dude protecting the, the realm from the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so corin's like i don't want you to be glad about it you know and he like grabs him He's like, I want you to curse and fight till your heart's done pumping. And know this, boy, your death will be a gift for them south of the wall. And the whole time I'm thinking that, like, Jesus parallels, since we were talking about, like, the religious stuff going on. Mopey Jesus. And this, yeah, Mopey Jesus. So obviously that, you know, parallels Jesus giving his life um, for the people. and. Well, John gives his life. Right, for exactly. The, for uh, the people, for the wildlings. Right, yeah. Then... Let's see. Uh, oh, he says your death will be a gift for them south of the wall. And so I thought that south of the wall, like, you know, was metaphorical for like for on Earth, you know, if you're looking at it from like a religious perspective. 
Um, so then John looks like slightly taken aback as because he's been like grasped by Corin as he's telling him all this. And he says, they'll never know what you've done. They'll never know how you died. They won't even know your damn name. Um, but they'll be alive because some nameless bastard gave his life north of the wall for theirs. Now, do you understand me? And I've written down, yes. Now, after countless rewatches, I understand. Because he says, they'll never know what you've done. They'll never know how you died. Right? And Jon Snow has kept secret how he was murdered. Because people mm-hmm. would think he's crazy. I took it the exact same way. I just thought that that speech was just fantastic right so epic is like they'll so the people aren't going to know how he died because he's not going to publicly admit how he was how he was killed they won't even know his damn name because there's no proof that his he's Aegon targaryen so john will know because of his his brother's part of the weirwood network you know like the the westerosi internet that nobody else can access tarley's you know wife is uh is all of a sudden a book scholar right so so uh just like Corin says, they they won't even know your your damn name because nobody will nobody will know he's Aegon Targaryen unless somehow he tries to go public with it. But what's the point? Nobody will believe it. Crazy. Right? Um, so I thought that was just crazy. There's so much stuff going on there, with foreshadowing. So that if if Corin is right here, that means that John, we can in season seven they will or season eight they will not reveal to the public that John is Aegon Targaryen. They'll keep that a secret. Um, that John will not go public with how he died, so we'll have to see if that stuff you know ends up being revealed to the people like the masses or not, or if it is like kind of kept as a secret. Um, this could be Corin telling us how things play out actually in the future. Hmm. Well, he didn't tell Daenerys what happened to him, and she looked at his scars. Right. So if he's still keeping it from her after all that they've been through last season, yeah, I think that you're right. I I don't see him revealing it really to anybody. I mean, the people that know, you know, Davos won't say anything and the rest of the guys are from the watch. Melisandre is gone for now. Yeah, true. So So um, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Lots of analyze so he says now do you understand me and john says i do and he's like you're even dumber than you look he's like you don't (laughs) um so i was thinking at that point huh maybe corin in his ranging you know has come across undead benjen (laughs) this is total tinfoil territory maybe he's (laughs) maybe he's come across undead benjen who has obviously been saved by the Three-Eyed Raven and the Children of the Forest at this point because it's months since he's been missing. So he's out there, you know? Uh-huh. And that means that the Three-Eyed Raven has debriefed him on what the fuck is going on and what's, what's to be expected um, with Bran and, you know, John and stuff like that, I imagine. So, Oh, wow, ma- you're going deep. Right? So maybe Corrin had, you know been contacted by or run into undead Benjen, who's like, listen, I can't come back with you because I'm an undead abomination and I can't go <laughs> south of the wall because of the magic, right? So I can't even go with you. Uh, the magical barrier there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he's like, you gotta, you you go find John and help him out. It's possible that Corin is already like he's taken an interest in John. Obviously, as we saw last episode, he seemed to be like, you know, intrigued by John. Maybe he's under orders from Benjen to to take him under his wing and help him. 
Um, but I, I think that's total tinfoil, tinfoil territory, like I was saying. But uh, he just seems to be so accurate with his information here about how John is, is going to die and how nobody's going to know his name. It's like it's like he has the Three-Eyed Ravens information already at this point. You know what I mean? Like he he's telling us all of this stuff that's prophetic, and it's almost too coincidental for it, for it to be a co- or to, to be a coincidence. You know what I mean? It's just so yeah. ridiculous. Well, I mean, now that we know the full scope of John's story, you know, you can see how that could be completely prophetic. But, you know, at the time and even to a certain extent, just being, you know, a um, um, man of the night's watch, uh, a brother of the night's watch, um, you know, you can you can see how that's the kind of mentality that you need to be in their mantra. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 Corin totally sh- shreds the conspiracy theory right at that moment by saying it's just words, boy, to keep us a little warmer at night. Make us feel like we've got a purpose. He laughs. Come on, we've got to find these goat fuckers before night falls and they find us. So it's like none of it like it's like it's just, you know, he's just saying the party line like you were saying and it it seems to imply that he had no real like future knowledge or anything like that. <laughs> Which is crazy. You know, for Corin and Jor Mormont to both agree for their brand new brother of the Night's Watch to go on this um, on this quest, I, you know, th- there had to have been something there. Like Corin knew that this guy was needing to be groomed or needing to be trained up a little bit, and so Corin, you know, decides to take a special interest in him or to school him a little bit or to harden him a little bit, um, maybe even try and ingratiate him into the wildlings. I don't know, but, um, you could argue that this, that the decision by both of them to let John go is what resulted in both of their deaths. If John had, hadn't gone, they would have killed a grit. No question. Mm-hmm. And they never would have been detected by the wildlings potentially, which never like would have changed the course of the way things played out and potentially resulted in the more you know in them in them being able to evade the the white walker attack at uh at the fist of the first men and john never being taken captive and forced to kill corin halfhand at all um so it could be that decision there that led to both of their downfalls <laughs> theoretically it's true but you at know? the same time i mean that john is the one who unites the wildlings with the north right at the very yeah least. i mean either way it's it's important that john was propelled at this at you know at this point in time like he needed to mm-hmm. you know step up to his role in destiny um but it's funny you know <laughs> like, if he hadn't Absolutely. have been there he wouldn't have fucked up the mission gotten corn killed and he would have been there to theoretically protect mormont from the the white invasion at the fist of the first men and the mutiny at craster's keep <laughs> oh, which Craster's is funny keep yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And so John is sort of bewildered. I love it that he's like trying to be serious with Corin because he's like, yes, I understand now. And he's yeah. like, no, you fucker. No, you don't. <laughs> you dumbass. And he just like turns it into a joke and walks off talking about goat fuckers. And John is standing there like, what the fuck? And he like kind of like looks back over at Ghost off in the distance and then trudges trudges along with them i thought it was just a really looking really at good possible scene. freedom as he trudges along yeah, <laughs> yeah that's cool so that's my number five he looks like he's gonna trip over that sword like every third step <laughs> i'm looking at him with the size of with the size of long claw and i'm just like just 
you know, try and look like it belongs on your body. I mean, he just looks so funny in season two because he's just he's not Jon Snow, the seasoned warrior. Right. You know, he's this kid that's like, I got this sword and I'm with these guys and, you know, I'm pretending that I know what the fuck is going on. But I have no idea what's going. I know nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he soon learns that he knows nothing. Just watching him chase after um, Ygritte, you're just like, dude, you, you're just following her, mindlessly following her after you've been told that the wildlings know this area better than anybody else. And you could die while, you know, she's leading you into a trap and right. you just don't care. <laughs> and speaking of Ygritte and the idea of Jon Snow not knowing, right, there's there's knowing there's or OK, I'll put it this way. There there are knowns. There are unknowns, right? There are mm -hmm. known unknowns. Like, you know you don't know about something, right? Right. And then there are unknown unknowns, which are unknowns that you don't even know about, right? Right. <laughs> and John, like Yeah, John has yet to, <laughs> to, to know that there are unknown unknowns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's just... You just you just went like on this little like <laughs> you're like there's knowns there's unknowns there's known unknowns there's unknown unknowns but John doesn't know that he knows that we know that they know about the unknowns you know you know what I'm saying yeah John Snow doesn't know that there are unknowns that he does not know are unknown. <laughs> <laughs> You can, oh, you can rewind that. It's accurate. I'm telling you. No, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with what you're saying. You're just like all I see is the this Friends episodes where everybody's like, they don't know that we know that they know that we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You're a funny dude. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. So that was your number five? Yep. Slash four? See, yeah, so yeah, my number four was the cup bear scene. Uh, so now we're on your number four. Well, I'm going to go right into, since we're on the subject of Corin, um, half hand and the foreshadowing that he has, um, my number four was actually foreshadowing. Nice. Um, so, you know, the big one, I think you're completely right, was... Um, just the scene with Corn and John, and we went over that really well. I just I wrote down next to Corn to John basically everything he was about to go through. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Corn um, the prophet. Yeah, that's um, 
pretty amazing. Pretty amazing, I think. Um, also, another really big one, in my opinion, was Cersei. Uh, in the very beginning of the episode, um, as they're watching uh, Marcella go to Dorne, um, Cersei's just standing there next to Tyrion, and she says, One day, I pray you love someone. I pray you love her so much. When you close your eyes, you see her face. I want that for you. I want you to know what it's like to love someone, to truly love someone before I take her from you. And so it made me think of um, how Cersei um, turned Shay against Tyrion yeah. uh, for his trial and Tyrion had to watch that betrayal happen in front of his eyes as it led to this um his guilty verdict and his uh sentence to death yep um totally foreshadowing then, season four right and then you know he comes in and he sees that Shay is already sleeping with his dad calling him her lion right um, and I mean you know that's all been done you know it's been done by Cersei. You know that she did that. Yep. Um, and that was probably what she thought was her revenge. You could also make an argument that um, Tyrion loves Daenerys. Oh, um, currently, yeah. Yeah, and not maybe in a romantic, but he truly loves her as a queen. He believes in her. He considers her the real deal. He's got that Jorah-style commitment. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it's romantic. Right, I know right. that I'm probably in the minority with that one, but... No, I can, and maybe, I can see it. I can see it going either way, you know? Yeah, um, and I think that, you know, Cersei could even maybe uh, think that this is who she's going to take away from Tyrion. She's going to, you know, bring down Daenerys and she's going to watch uh, Tyrion have it all taken away from him. I mean, her hate for him is palpable. Even, even when they're talking in the very last episode of season seven, well, you know, they're talking about her being pregnant or whatever. And uh, it's right. She, she almost kills just, him. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Kill um, me. So, you know, <laughs> He has that speech, or she has that speech to him. Oh, and as right at the end of that speech, he sort of turns to her like horrified at just how twisted and evil she is and walks off. And in that moment, he, the, like the way he, the expression on his face reminded me of Mark Hamill. Um, it just kind of, I don't know, he looked like Mark Hamill to me for a second there, which I thought was fun. He did look a little different in this episode. I completely agree with you. Interesting. I don't know if he had like a chemical peel or something, but he did. Look, <laughs> I, I was like, wow, it looks different. like Mark Hamill. That's cool. Um, so, and then I also have written down that she's so dumb, Cersei, at this point, because she's freaking out that about, you know, Tyrion's taken Marcella from her, you know, so she's going to take someone that Tyrion loves. And it's like, you idiot. Tyrion just saved Marcella from having to go through the, the, the torment of the horror of nearly being raped and murdered during the, the almost sacking of King's Landing. You know, when you almost poisoned your own son, Tommen, yourself. Um, so you can thank Tyrion for having Marcella far away from that scenario. Or for the war that her other son started. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, she knows how crazy her son is and the fact that she refuses to acknowledge it and puts everybody else in this danger. I mean, you know, that's just... Ugh, she's... Awful. <laughs> she's yeah, terrible. She's so bad. It's great. Also, when when the the boat is going away with Marcella on it, 
and she's crying and it's going out towards the ships that are docked or you know uh, moored right outside the uh, the little cove entry there it totally foreshadows the exact opposite how she happening. comes back yeah when she comes back and it's Jamie bringing back her her body on that same little ship mm. um, coming from those ships right off the shore outside of that uh, that little cove there so I thought that struck me too because uh, Cersei's on the shore waiting and basically in the same spot that she's at in this episode um, not not exactly but it's it's a good mirroring of that future event but it is the last time you you are aware if you've seen the show that that's the last time yeah. that she sees her daughter alive yeah it's really sad it's one of the only th- times i feel sorrow for cersei <laughs> is when is marcella yeah cuz marcella is innocent you know mhm she didn't have any. She didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I don't even think Tommen was innocent, but Marcella was. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that Rob being betrayed by Theon, um, kind of with how upset he was, he goes, "I don't want you to kill him. I want you to bring him to me so I can ask him why, and then." I'm going to kill him myself. Right. And that's kind of how Rob dies in the fact that he betrays Walder Frey and Walder Frey is just like, bring this guy to me and, <laughs> oh. and you know, I'm going to confront him and then I'm going to kill him. You right. know? Yeah. So and I thought it's that like was... that same principle too, of wanting to behead somebody himself sort of results in his death. Um, because when he kills, uh, Rickard Karstark mm-hmm. and turns the Karstark army against him, it sort of solidifies his need to go through uh, Walder Frey or something. It some like it, it, it helps ruin him in right. some way or another. I can't, I can't remember exactly this point, but we'll find out soon and we'll talk about it then. Yes, we will. Because as you're saying it, I said, I got to watch that episode. And then I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another big one that I had for foreshadowing is Maester Lewin to Theon. Um, and... As I was writing about the foreshadowing with with Maester Lewin to Theon, I realized that I was really drawing parallels with the way that Theon and Joffrey have been acting um, and not heeding their own counsel and what happens as a result. Um, you know, Joffrey and Theon both, you know, are so wrapped up in the fact that they are a prince or they are a king you know i'm the king you can't do anything to me yeah. i'm the prince you will you will address me as such we see that both they of those so much this episode too yeah and you can't see, they can't see the forest through the trees right right i mean you have you know theon who is just so desperate for approval from these people that so clearly hate him that he's basically just torching everything everything that he once stood for to make some ridiculous point you know maester lewin comes up and he's like just think about what you're doing here think about this is this is you know a potential uh bargaining chip right here if if you want to um if you want something what did he want oh shoot he said something about rob he starts saying you can use Sir Roderick as a bargaining chip with Rob. You know, you're you're not seeing the potential of of oh. keeping him alive. Um, and that's, you know, 
directly related to Joffrey not seeing the potential of keeping Ned Stark alive, or seeing keeping Sansa alive in the same uh, same episode. This one, you know, oh. is like let the let the mob have her, and Tyrion's like, "You fucking idiot." <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't for the Hound, he would have. He yeah. would have let her die. She would have died. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and and it all has to do with pride. It all has to do with the fact that they're, you know, trying to exert some sort of power that they just so clearly do not have. Right. But you know, this is this is Theon. You know, he he he's about to go through his own thing. We all we we all know what's coming for <laughs> poor Theon. Yeah, he's gonna deal with some stuff regarding his thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he Jeez. is. You know, so um, you know, he's about to lose everything because he's <laughs> going because <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. The giggling on your end is hilarious because <laughs> I go. He's about to go through his own thing, and you're just like <laughs> thing. Uh, he said thing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm four. Um, but I think that that's it. I think that that's all I had for foreshadowing was really the parallels that was happening with Joffrey and Theon. Um, and just kind of like this is this is kind of like pride goeth before the fall. Right. Um, you know, they're they're going to. Um, well, Theon's is going to come a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And I love it and when it happens. And never again. Yeah, right? I know. I think that that's the last time he has sex is with Osha. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Oh, man. Ramsey gets there very soon after, if I'm not, not mistaken. I don't know. But the way he hacked off um, Sir Roderick's head was terrible. Oh, yeah, it was brutal. It's all jerky and, like, weird. And then he kicked it off. Yeah, he like stomps his head off. And it was good acting oh. by uh, Alfie Allen too. Like, oh, he's like all flustered. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. That was a brutal scene. So yeah, those were my those were my uh, foreshadowing points for number four. All right. Let's see. What do I got for number three? My number three is John meets Igrit. Yay, that was my number three. <laughs> all right. So we can uh we can collab here. Yay. <laughs> um, so the scene starts out with John crouched behind a rock with Longclaw unsheathed. And you know when when the Valyrian steals out, it's business time, right? Shit's about to get business time. It's business time. <laughs> um, so the wildlings are totally surrounded here. And Corrin gives a signal, and an arrow takes one out, and the, the watchmen am, am ambush the wildlings. John chases a grit, and right before she's able to grab her axe, he spins her around onto this rock with his knife, or with his uh, with long claw at her neck. And he's taken aback again because she's a girl. It's a girl. And she's so beautiful. And um, there's a great shot of long claw where you can see like the, the details of the. The sort of um, swirling of the Valyrian mm-hmm. steel at the in the middle of the blade, which is really cool. Um, it's a beautiful sword, and so John like is he's like, well, we can maybe we can interrogate her. You know, she's a girl, and they're like, they're like kill her. <laughs> they don't really care, but he, he ends up deciding to keep her alive for now, and she advises the Watchmen to burn the dead, them they killed, or um, or you may need those swords again, which I thought was pretty cool. Like they're gonna rise. As whites, 
But they're right. Did they? They didn't burn them though because it would have attracted attention, right? So what the fuck? Those guys could be roaming around. She did say she said burn those bodies. Right. I don't think they did though because John wouldn't when he was about to execute her. Uh, she was like, "Burn me!" Right, and he's like, "No, burn can't. me, or I'll Someone come will... back to haunt you." Um, well, it was close, but she says, "Will you burn me something?" And he says, "Can't." Basically, because someone will see, someone might see the smoke, and so she says, "Strike hard and true, John Snow, or I'll come back and haunt you." That's right. And he does strike hard, but not true. <laughs> and she, no, he did not. And, and she does end up coming back to haunt him. You know, when she comes back to to assault the uh, the watch. Yeah, she comes back a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could say. Um. So yeah, that was some foreshadowing there. I think too that things aren't going to end pleasantly, <laughs> and they didn't really start pleasantly either. <laughs> no, but you know they both. I well, you know it depends on the way you look at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Hegret uh, was getting a little comfortable there on on the rock. Right, when they were about to go to sleep for the night. Yeah. Before we get to that though, there's some other stuff we skipped over. Um, so that was cool. They were talking about, you know, how they need to burn them or they might come back. And he says that they're not going to, he wouldn't burn her. So I don't think they end up burned in, burning anybody. Um, no. But Jon Snow is like, you know, looking all badass, right? <laughs> and there is one line that Corrin had where he's like, our boy here's already killed one dead man. He'll do it again if he has to. You know, Jon Snow's just like, fuck yeah, make me look good in front of the lady. Yeah. Um, and I feel he's, like. He's just standing there. Yeah. And I feel like Corrin like knew what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So Corin gets right down to business, uh, like we said, business time, and he's like, "How many wildlings are there?" And she's like, "Hundreds and thousands, more than you've ever seen, Crow." And he's like, uh, "Why come to the mountains? Like, what the fuck? What's in the frost fangs that your king could possibly want?" Like, and she doesn't answer. And he's like, "Why? Do you mean to march on the wall? Do you know who I am?" And, she, and she's like, "Yeah, I know who you are." And she admits that they'd they would wouldn't have mercy for him you know that they'd kill him if they were feeling like kill him quickly if they were feeling friendly <laughs> otherwise right. they'd you know torture him long and slow and so Corin's like she has to die right and I'll do it and John's like no 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 I'll do it and so I feel like um Corin knew what was happening and he gave John the opportunity to make his own decision with this as he leads the other watchmen away and like leaves John to do it on his own so I was intrigued by that. What motivated Corin to lead the other guys away? Um, I mean, obviously, if if he's not being supervised, something could go wrong. Especially considering how green he is, you know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought that that was an odd decision as well. So it must have been backed by some kind of an inkling of of knowledge on Corin's part. Um, and you know, you can go back to your tinfoil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Oh, you know, yeah, with, there you go. Okay, well, you know, this <laughs> he is knows your path. This is just what's supposed to happen. That's yeah, wild. I mean, you're supposed to be with the wildlings at some point. I guess this is how you do it. Yeah, go make babies, Jon Snow. Um, oh, little fire baby. <laughs> <laughs> fire and ice. Again. <laughs> She's kissed by fire. Oh, that's the story right there. That's, that's the that's, song of ice and yeah, fire. It just ends after, uh, after the cave scene. It's over. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, I, there was a funny moment there where 
the guys walk off and Igret tries to reason with John. And she's like, they'll never find us. You know, there's secret ways where we could run off. And it's like, I'm as much as crow as they are, you know? <laughs> And she like she's like immediately bored she's with like, him. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, totally. So she ends up taking out his knee, and there's this great moment where like he strikes the rock, and they kind of like look at each other, and they realize both of them sort of realize that he can't kill her, <laughs> you know. And she takes out his knee and runs. Yeah, she punched him in the knee. I thought that was so funny. I'm like, you just punched him in the knee. And he's like, he falls on the ground. And he's sort of like, ah, oh, like grabs his knee like Peter Griffin. Ah, 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 ah. You know, uh, so that was pretty funny. And she he runs off. He realizes he's being an idiot. Yeah, so then he ends up making up for it. And after like a chase scene, you know, with like crazy Mexican music or something, he slides down a hill and takes out her legs and, uh, and this beautiful slide tackle, really. Perfectly yeah. timed. Uh, I agree. He must have, you know, taken some physics classes at, uh, at Winterfell. I think that was Winterfell an accident. College. <laughs> they just fell and slid. He just looked so out of his element chasing her with the, with that sword. Really? I thought he I, looked like super pro at that moment. I was like, wow. That's so funny because I wrote down John has come a long way um, since since this episode with the way he fights and the way he carries himself and the way he acts and the way he moves. I just feel That's like funny. Uh, it. he was just really, really, he looked really inexperienced <laughs> chasing her. That's so funny. I, I was thinking like, I was thinking about filming it as an actor mm-hmm. and I was like, man, he must have run miles and miles and miles that day and with all that gear on and like the snow, like clinging to their boots as they're running along. I was just imagining like doing all that running and I was like, wow, it looks like he's like really running hard. You know, that's what I was like. So that's where I was coming from. It looked like yeah, he was like no super into it. Yeah, I running hard for sure. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, got to get that fire. I loved how um, how eager it was when she thought she was going to die. You know, like right. she had oh, yeah. such strength and honor. You know, she's like, just do it. You know, yeah. and when she felt the sword touch her neck, she's like, that's cold. You know, right. yeah. and it's funny that she says that because her life is cold, you know. And so it must have been maybe like a cold chill that ran down her back or something like that, that I'm going to die feeling that right. comes over. I don't, you know, and then... uh and then he's like not doing it, and she's just like getting more and more angry. Cause that was she's like just a like, subtle emotional plea to him, like that. That's called like an, a plea for empathy, you know? <laughs> oh, you think so? Yeah, I guess I took it as like she was just like, okay, this is it. I'm gonna die. I think you know? it was. I think it might have been, may have been unintentional, but I think that's what ended up happening. Um, Abs- yeah, you know. I just loved it. And, you know, it just it culminated into that that striking moment, you know, when he struck the rock, just, you know, with she built up it's like such Go great on, tension. Be quick about it. Do it. Mm-hmm. Bastard, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> do it. And then bam. And they just look at each other and she's like, Judy Chop, bam. And she leaves. <laughs> yeah, she's like Frank Castle, like, do it. Shoot me then. Right. Do you watch The Punisher? Castle. Yeah. Uh, I think I think you and I were texting back and forth a lot when we were both watching that. Yeah, we were because I was like, "Damn, that that chick's hot." Yeah, me too. That Indian chick, right? Oh, yeah, you thought so too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am a big Punisher fan, that's for sure. (laughs) Big Frank Castle fan. If you haven't seen it out there, please go see it. 
Watch yeah. it. It's fantastic. John Bernthal's great. And I'm, I'm sure that all the Walking Dead cast listeners already have watched Punisher. But if not, you, you should. It's good. And what are you doing? Yeah. Press Frank pause. Castle. Watch the first one. Yeah. So, so after the slide attack, John is like realizing that he can't shout for help, that he can't set a fire. And she's like... You know, we need body warmth to make it through the night, John. You know, so great. And he realizes that he needs to play Big Spoon. So he's like, they're doing that whole thing. And like you were saying, she's like wiggling her booty on him. Again, completely (laughs) out of his element again. That's an OSHA (laughs) trick right there. We know things. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, wildling wildling using some interesting survival skills methods on this episode. <laughs> right, yeah. That's a, a theme for sure. That's funny. Uh, um, John's getting all agitated. Just stop it. No, no. <laughs> That's my pistol on my hip, I swear. I know. She's like, what? I didn't notice at that time. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. That's well, you know, I, it's just he, sh, her arrival is so great for John because he's so confident in his swordsman ability and his fighting ability and his, you know, his way that he wants to be a ranger. And then he meets this woman and he's like, holy shit, it's a woman. And he's you just know? totally he's like so hard and like physically prepared, but completely emotionally unprepared for the reality of the, the situation he's gotten into. And that's funny. Like, yeah, like talking saying. to a yeah. woman, fighting a woman, killing a woman, trying to just, you know, exist with a woman. I, it's like he's just other happy to than... see a woman. <laughs> like Samwell. <laughs> even looking away, even walking away, they look good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gren's like, I like them when they walk towards me. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, John is John's never really shown an interest in women, probably because, you know, he he always thought he would become a brother of the Night's Watch. So he never even put it in his mind that that was an option for him. That plus his underlying bastard psychology. He doesn't want to father a bastard. Right. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, being forced with um, Ygritte, I think, was just brilliant on uh Grimm's part. Yeah. And the fact that he did it, that he that he ended up having sex with her in the cave, like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he, fell he, in he love was with willing her. Yeah, yeah, he fell in love with her and he was willing to do anything to complete his mission, too. Can you imagine if he took Longclaw and just stabbed her in the heart? Right. This would have been over way sooner. Yeah. Oh yeah. So so I guess my my uh my takeaway from from John and Egret meeting is how Egret automatically puts John out of his element, which I think he right. needed for him to grow as a character. Definitely, because I don't think he was going to grow very much as a character with the confidence that he had in himself as a as a fighter. Yeah, he also, you know, he knows that he was going to be selected uh, to be the next Lord Commander by being. Um, the new Lord command or the old Lord commander's steward. He knew that he was one of the best fighters, um, at castle black. He knew that he was extremely capable in whatever he did, but then you get a girl in front of him and he's all, he's all thumbs. (laughs) Yeah. He's all left feet. Yeah. (laughs) All thumbs. That's great. (laughs) So I, I really enjoy the beginning of this 
involvement with, with Jon Snow. Yeah, I agree. I think that wraps it up pretty well. I don't have anything yeah. else either. Um, cool. So now you can go again with your number two. I have lovingly titled my number two, The Cow Pie Riot. <laughs> nice. The riot's my number one, too. So we'll, uh, we can combine on that. I love every second of this riot. Nice. Um, yeah, me too. Just, you know, it. I, I wrote down that I think in, in this scene with what happened, everybody's true colors come out during this time. Joffrey's true colors come out. Uh, the Hound's true colors come out. Yep. Santa, Santa's underlying psyche comes out. And then there's Tyrion. And Tyrion shines as the hand of the king oh. in, in this scene. Yeah. And nobody cares. Yeah, it's crazy. He's the and one so that's I like, thought, get the king to safety. You know, he sees it happening he, before it happens. He wanted Tommen out of there immediately. You mean uh, Joffrey? No, Tommen. He said, get the prince to safety in the very beginning. And so they took Tommen out of there. They hustled oh. him away before the cowboy even flew out. Oh, I, okay. Maybe I was confused there. I was thinking so, um, the, uh, the, you know, I was thinking he meant the king. No, so it was he they're coming in and they're saying, you know, all hail King Joffrey. Hello, your grace, whatever it is, there's, you know, villagers or, um, um, you know, the, the people that are just sitting there saying whatever. And then it starts Tyrion's to turn looking around and he sees that there's a tension in the air and then and you, he doesn't it, like the fact that they have the high ground. Yeah. And you hear he's no king. And then he's a bastard. <laughs> you know? And that's when Joffrey lifts his head. Right. He he wasn't even acknowledging them. He didn't wave to them. He was just sulking like a teenager, just walking back. But as soon as someone questions his kingship, you know, it's on. And he turns up to look and then the cow pie hits him in the face. Yeah. Joffrey gets turds tossed on his dome piece and loses his shit. Which is awesome. Because (laughs) all of a sudden, well, first of all, I... That was just a great moment, and I would I would like to give a big high five hug to whoever did that. Whoever <laughs> <laughs> threw the cow pie, yeah. yeah. Whoever had the balls to do that. This one's for you, turd tosser. <laughs> yeah, pouring one out for that homie. <laughs> that cl- that probably died. Yeah. So you know what's interesting is that, every, like all hell breaks loose. Um. You know, the the hound grabs grabs Joffrey and says, let's go. Let's. And he's like, I said, kill them all. And he goes, dude, they want to kill you. Like, you got to go. I don't think you get it. You know, Joffrey is sitting there saying, kill, kill everybody. Kill them all. Kill everyone. Yeah. He's like losing his shit. When they're horribly outnumbered. I mean, he just he shows how insane he is. Just I don't know. And, And then they get back and. Tyrion's first thought is Sansa. Like the minute, you know, they weren't even back yet. I think it was when he saw um, the Septon giving the, uh, getting killed by the people and they ripped off his arm and they lifted up his arm over their heads. And yeah, like, where's yeah. Sansa? As the Septon is torn apart. <sighs> and all of a sudden, his first thought is Sansa. It's not Joffrey. It's not anybody else. It's right. where Sansa. is Sansa. Yeah. 
um, when nobody else was thinking about her and Joffrey was completely willing to let her go. Um, and then just the, a series of wonderful, epically wonderful things happen in the next minute. Yeah. Big time. The hound saves Sansa. Even before um, that, he's cutting down dudes left and right with like super precision sword skills. And I like, like the guy that tried to hit him in the chest with the rock. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. I was probably taking notes. Some guy comes up and just like hits him in the chest with a rock and he just looks at him like, are you fucking kidding me? It's hilarious. <laughs> just goes and runs him down. The hound is the best. I have him called. Um, okay. Just getting into the part where where he Sansa is about to be raped, right? Mm. Which is immediately following this. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying, right? And she's screaming, and these disgusting guys are like all over her and like pulling her legs apart. And this guy's like pulling down his pants, right? And then all of a sudden, the guy gets lifted up and turned around. And I have the the arrival of the hound who lifts the would-be rapist off the ground by the throat like Darth Vader and guts him in midair. It's yes. fucking crazy. Darth Sandor in this in this it. moment, you know? Just like yes. force chokes that guy up in the air, just like Darth Vader in episode four, and <laughs> guts him and kills him and tosses him aside just like Vader. Kills the other two guys. One guy's like, wait! He's like, no. <laughs> Slits his throat immediately. No mercy. No mercy. Well, and he has such no he has such um you know, viciousness when it comes to them. And then he turns and he gently handles Sansa. Just like a hound. Just, you know, like, just like your faithful dog, which will rip the shit out of somebody, yanking its head back and forth with its teeth locked onto them to try to get them off of you if they're trying to hurt you. But then will like, nestle its head against you, you know, and, like, be, like, your he best friend. Like, little bird. Right, yeah, you're all right, little bird. You're all right. <laughs> and Tyr- she arrives back and, um... Tyr- and Tyrion had again been searching for um, for Sansa, you know, trying to get Marin Trant to go after her, and he refuses. He's like, I'd only take orders from the king. And he looks over at yeah, he looks over at Joffrey, and Joffrey like acknowledges that he looks and just leaves without giving him the order, just like a oh, fuck you, Tyrion. And then the Hound comes in carrying her, like you know, like and the Hound is her knight, you know, he's her true knight. Like mm-hmm. she's all about like Florian and Jonquil and like the the songs of the knights and and maidens and all this and the Hound is her guy you know like this is the dude that just he was the knight in this scene you know he was the archetypal true knight saving the maiden from the the bad guys carrying her to safety Sansa just lived those tales that she has you know been dreaming about her entire life right in this scene there so that's pretty cool. After so much disappointment of all of her other dreams that have, you know, been happening. And it's a horrible dream. Like, it's not, you know. It's a waking nightmare. (laughs) Right? And she didn't, you would never expect your glorious night to come in the package of the hound. But that's what reality is. She's learning that the night, the songs aren't the truth. You know, they, they glorify it and, and make majestic these horrible things that don't, that aren't accurately portrayed, you know, necessarily. I agree. I, I, I agree. You know, this is, this is one of the first real moments. I mean, we've seen, um, the hound very slowly start to 
care for Sansa, right? right. He rips off his cloak when um, after she's, she's been stripped, been her clothes have been ripped and apart, beaten. and she's been beaten. You know, we see her. We see him um, save her from certain death if she had pushed um, Joffrey off of that ledge when he went to show Sansa the Ned's head on the spike. Right. And now we're seeing him completely desert the king. Uh, He is a member of the king's guard. He has deserted the king and he went to go find Sansa Stark. He saves her life. He brings her back. He deserted the king. That's a brilliant point. And he does not give two shits about, you know, why he, he, he doesn't care about why anybody thinks that he did it. You know, he comes back and Tyrion says, well done Clegane. Right. Right. And he's like, he I goes, didn't do it I don't for do you. It for you. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, get, get little bird back to her cage. Yeah, Take the little care bird's, of that cut. Little bird's bleeding. <laughs> get her back to yeah. her cage. He he's gently great. puts her down. Yep. You know, he threw Joffrey into that alley. I mean, he grabbed him by the neck and just protected him almost, you know, like an obligation, throws him in there. And then he goes on his real mission. Right. He's like, I just got to get this fucker in the, I got to get this fucker safe so I can go handle business and protect my girl. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. Totally. Um, You know, and protect the innocence in general. Uh, Tyrion comes up and and he looks at Sansa. He's like, "Are you okay?" And and she gives him this look like, "I'm okay." There's a lot of genuine small moments in this m- sea of madness. Yeah, right. And the, um, speaking about the Hound sort of betraying Joffrey and abandoning him, you can see foreshadowing of that in this scene. Um, this scene starts off with the Marcella leaving scene, right? And uh, Joffrey is making an ass of himself by laughing at Tommen, who's crying, right? Princess, don't cry. She's like, I saw you cry. Right? Yeah, Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, she's like, my little brother cried when I left Winterfell. And he's like, so? It seems like a normal thing, she replies, you know. And he's like, well, is your little brother a prince? And at this Kinda. point, technically, yeah, but she can't say that because it would be treason, essentially. So she's like, no, right? And he's like, not really relevant then, is it? And uh, the bad lip reading does some really funny stuff with this scene. Uh, if you want to look it up, medieval fun time world or I, land. I bad love lip bad reading, lip Game reading. of Thrones. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to link to that. I, I, I link to that every once in a while on the Facebook page because uh, it's so funny. But we'll link to it this week and uh, make sure all you guys watch it. Maybe it, some, it is great. Maybe some nice Joffrey slapping yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Um, I Tyrion has a great line in this as well when he says, "You know, we've had vicious kings and we've had idiot kings, but I I think that you're the first truly vicious idiot king that we've had." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great line. <laughs> Before that, though, um, so Joffrey says, "Not really relevant, then, is it?" And then turns and walks off and says, "Come, dog," and Sandor shoots him a dirty look. Like, that's mm-hmm. like, I am not putting up with this bullshit much longer type look. Um, so that foreshadows him abandoning him later in the riot uh, and going to protect Sansa. Who Very is, much Who is so. the honorable person in that scene who is, you know, calling Joffrey out on being a fucking hypocritical loser. Um, and so San- or the Hound is gaining respect for Sansa in that scene as she's, you know, standing up to the king and standing up for Tommen and standing up to the psychopath who Joff- or who the Hound hates 
studio edit. So of course this makes the Hound love Sansa because he's watching Joffrey pick on his younger brother like a douche and that reminds him of his older brother, the Mountain, picking on him. So Sansa intervening makes him love Sansa all the much more the way his father never intervened with his older brother. Back to the show. And then immediately after, he has to protect this douchebag just so he can like get him safe so he can go save Sansa, who he has been gaining respect for due to instances just like that, which had just occurred. Do you know if he still has his cloak? Yeah, I think it's back on. I didn't okay. I uh, I didn't really notice. I have it queued up to that scene. I'm just looking right now. Tyrion, Tyrion just slapped Joffrey. Nice. Love that. <laughs> Bad lip reading. Who threw they poops on me? <laughs> <laughs> he has no cloak on. Really? No cloak. Wow. That is pretty interesting and telling. Um, it's wild. Good call. I didn't even notice. Very symbolic. Oh, and we should mention, too, uh, that Sansa almost being raped is foreshadowing her actual rape in season six, right? Is it season six or five or... One of those seasons. Yeah, but the association of Sansa with rape. Yeah, maybe season five or six. Yeah. On her wedding night. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I I agree that I think that that is very, very telling of where uh, the Hound is at this point in his arc. He is probably no longer feeling obligated to being... Um, Joffrey's king guard, King's guard. Yeah, but he has to be, <laughs> but he has to do it. So this is probably his way of distancing himself, or maybe he took it off uh, to go look for her. Maybe did he have it on prior to that part of the scene? Like, was it on him earlier in the scene? That I don't know, but the magic of rewind. Makes it very easy to check it out. Nope, he doesn't have his cloak on while they're saying goodbye to Marcella. Interesting. Very interesting. So he doesn't have it on. Crafty bastard. Although he's not a bastard. And Joffrey's so impressed with himself, he probably didn't even notice. Right. You're losing him. Losing them one piece at a time. Yeah, you're losing your dog. Your dog has a new owner. Come new loyalty. dog. Ugh. What a bastard. He's like, do you see a cloak on me? I don't <laughs> see no ring on no finger. <laughs> so what were you saying? Uh, what does Tyrion say? That there's you were you're incompetent and what? What was that? He said, we've had vicious kings and we've had idiot kings. But I don't think that we've had a truly vicious idiot. Idiot king. And that's when Tyrion says, you're talking, or when uh, Joffrey says, you're talking to a king, right? And he goes, bam, and now I slapped a king. Imp slap. (laughs) (laughs) And now I've struck a king. Did my hand fall from its wrist? (laughs) Where's the Stark girl? Such a good Tyrion moment. (laughs) Yeah, Joffrey is totally bitch made and doesn't say anything. Um, and, and, And then Tyrion's like, that's when he fixates again on Sansa and he's like, where's the Stark girl? Well, it's, you know, it's how we feel about Joffrey. You can only take that guy in small doses. Yeah. You got to just put him in his place until he shuts his mouth and then deal with the real business. Mm-hmm. Very, <laughs> yeah, that's spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Did you just put the king to bed? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Doesn't Tywin do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tyrion says to him, "Did you just tell the king it's bedtime?" <laughs> It's like we both know that Joffrey is not the most powerful man in Westeros, you know. So that's classic. Um, Not at all. Gosh, Joffrey. We could probably just do a whole episode dissecting Joffrey's, the psychology of Joffrey. Definitely. Definitely. So do you you have anything else that you want to say about About, the Calpi riot? About Darth Sandor? About Darth Sandor. <laughs> uh, no, I think that pretty much covers that. Did you see that Cersei just disappeared? Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's a good point. <laughs> she literally they just, just took her away. Like you saw her in the background, just like she slips through a door and that's it. No more. She like swam out to Marcella. Like, no, I can't let you go yet, Marcella. That's how I she... know. She's like, I'm too sad. Maybe they'll kill my son. Yeah, she's sw- she was swimming. Like that's why she wasn't at the riot. Um, no, she was there at the beginning, and then you just see her, like, disappear. Uh, literally go through a door? Yeah. That's so funny. She's just the slickest of all of them. She is Teflon woman. She's like, fuck Joffrey. He can deal with the crowds. I'm gonna go. Oh, it should be noted before we move on that Tyrion does tell Joffrey, um, if you if Sansa dies, you can't get your Uncle Jamie back. Right. And you owe him quite a bit, you know. Like your life. Yeah, like he's your dad. You owe him your existence. That's hilarious, too. He took a shot at him there by like hinting it that he's a bastard, probably. Um, well, I think that's how it was intended. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, and that's, as we were mentioning before, Theon could have used Roderick to bargain for his own life with Rob, basically. Right. And Joffrey could use Sansa here to bargain for Jamie. And those are both of their, like, leverage pieces that we've discussed. Uh, that they're both squandering. Yeah, and you know it's not going to go well when Sansa starts running down that dark alleyway. <laughs> well, you know, she wasn't smart back then. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's, she's come a long way yeah. since that, since any of this, since season two. Yep. But luckily, uh, the Hound saved her life and honor, her true knight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so that was what, your number two two and my number one. So my number two is <laughs> Theon fucks up. Yay! Uh, Let's he, talk he about just, the little dipshit that is Theon. Yeah, he just fucks up over and over in this episode. Um, so the scene starts with Lewin, who's in danger, and he's scrambling to write a letter and attach it to a raven, and he sends it out just in time, and that is a tense scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Super tense. And the the bird is just like, rah, rah, waiting for him to put the thing, like, hurry! You know? It's crazy. And uh, so Theon has taken Winterfell, and it's Prince Theon now, you know? And he he tells, you know, a little bit of exposition there. He's like, yeah, we, you know, we use grappling claws and ropes and everything, and tells Bran exactly how he did it. And uh, he's like the he's trying to convince Bran to um, to tell the people that he's given up the castle to Theon, and it takes a little convincing. But he's like, you know, the castle's mine, but these people are still yours. You'll have you'll yield to keep them safe, to keep them alive, and that's what a good lord would would do, you know. And that's funny because it references 
previous Stark, who is in a similar position, um, our listeners can probably imagine who I'm referring to, or to whom I'm referring, that would be Torin Stark, the king who knelt, right? After Aeg- Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Wow. When yes. Aegon was conquering the Seven Kingdoms with blood and fire and three dragons, mm-hmm. and he had melted Hall and destroyed the armies of Myrne Gardner and the Lannister king on the Field of Fire. Yes. Um, Torin Stark knelt for King Aegon, and no... Stark soldiers were killed. No swords lay twisted and burnt from dragon fire. Um, you know, House Stark lived to fight another day. Did House, did House, um, what was it? Black Heron, uh, the Black Bat of Lothston. Did Lothston survive <laughs> to live another day? Did, uh, did House Gardener survive to live another day? No. But Torrin Stark knelt and, and, House Stark lived to fight another day. So that's what's what's happening here again is Bran is following in the footsteps of the wise leaders before him and preserving the future of his house by by bowing down to Theon here, essentially. Um, and I don't think he is necessarily aware of that connection in the moment, but it's a fun parallel to notice as an observer. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Well, it shows it shows that, you know, the Starks care that they can see past themselves yeah they have a lot of honor um you know in their that they family they care about the people as well mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is good unlike joffrey who doesn't give a fuck and that totally contrasts joffrey's leading style in this episode kill them all kill them all you know whereas brand's like fine i yield to save my people you know and he even when the when his people started to get a little squirrely, he he just sat there. He's like, "Just calm down. It'll be fine. Right. You know, just just do as he says. Yeah. Do as he says. <laughs> do as the madman says." Re- a little a little boy reassuring grown adults yeah, to it's keep pretty, their cool. It's pretty wild. Pretty mm-hmm. wild. Um. So yeah, where were we? Um. Oh, yeah. So that's the second time that Torin Stark has been referenced within these past couple episodes. Last episode, we heard that the Greyjoys were raiding and sieging Torin Square. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, was, was, last, a, that yep. was a diversion to draw the Winterfell armies away so that Theon could do this. And um, so we heard Torin mentioned last week, sort of subconsciously preparing us for this Torin-like behavior of Bran Ooh, here. Nice, um, nice connection. Yeah. So then we get the allusion to Torin here, and then again to uh, to encapsulate this Torin Square is mentioned again um, in a few minutes. Um, so Bran has a great line where he asks Theon, "Did you hate us the whole time?" You know, and and uh, Theon kind of doesn't answer him and just sort of storms out. That's right when Theon arrives. Um, but Theon is, it's raining outside and it's just a terrible scene. You know, the rain is like metaphorical for the dark time approaching Castle Winterfell as it's about to be burned down and lost for a while, you know. Um, this is the last time we see the Stark banners on Winterfell for, for a very years, long time. Yeah. It's pretty hardcore. So it's raining and it's nasty out, and Theon is preaching, and he just such a he's just such a tool. My father has donned the ancient crown of salt and rock and declared himself the king of the Iron Islands. <laughs> you know, it's like then why is are he you king in the north? Yeah, no. then why are you at Winterfell? 
Why are you here? He climbs the north as well by right of conquest. You are all his subjects. <laughs> and some guy's like, bugger that. I serve the Starks. You know, which is great. Sounds like such an ass. Yeah. Theon? Yes. Yeah, he's just such an entitled douche. And so, the you know, that guy gets knocked around a bit and forced to submit. And then uh, Theon commands Lewin to send some ravens away, and Lewin hesitates to obey. And Theon reminds him, you're a, a maester, a sworn maester of the Citadel. You're sworn to obey the Lord of Winterfell. I'm the Lord of Winterfell, as Bran just told everybody, you know? Um, so that's kind of hardcore and sort of puts things in perspective. I don't think we understood what maesters were in terms of the like the sort of theology or uh, mythology of Westeros and the Song of mm-hmm. Ice and Fire series in Game of Thrones. This clears up for us that the uh, maesters are sent from the Citadel to essentially work for and 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 advise lords of these various castles and houses. Um, and they're just sworn to, you know, he's sworn to obey the Lord of Winterfell, whoever that is, you know. It's kind of an interesting system that they have. It's like the... Uh, whether they like it or not. Yeah, whether they like it or not. Although um, certain people have expelled uh, maesters, I believe. Um, I can't recall Kyburn off the top of my head. was expelled, wasn't he? Well, that's different. He The, the Citadel took his chain from him and expelled oh, him. Oh, oh. But okay. uh, lords have, you know, refused to... Um, to have maesters. I don't think Stannis has a maester after uh, Cresson poisons himself, for instance. Well, I don't think he feels that he has need for one. Right, yeah. He was sort of already being pushed to the periphery by the, uh, you know, like the Lord of Light, essentially. And I think there are other examples where this is the case, where the, the maesters have, their tendrils have been cut in certain spots. But uh, yeah, it's like the maesters want their, their noses and everything. And the maesters are collecting knowledge. And there's like, there seems to be like this grand maester conspiracy going on, which is pretty interesting as well. I say that phrase all the time, which is pretty interesting. It's kind of annoying. I apologize. To it's the okay. Listeners. I say absolutely so much that I make myself sick. So <laughs> you and I both, I guess have our phrases that uh, we we've caught on or, to, <laughs> you know, we say, you know, a lot too. Um, who does? You do? I do? We both do. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Lewin hesitates and finally obeys, and then Osha steps up and asks to serve Rob, or to serve, serve, to serve Theon. And she's like, it was Rob Stark who put me in these in the kitchens, you know, put a spear in my hand again. And he's like, <laughs> you're kidding me, right? You'll just bury that spear in my neck. Uh, not a chance in hell. Bye. And just kind of like pushes her aside. She goes, I didn't I didn't say that kind of a spear in my hands, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good one. Foreshadowing for later. He does put his spear in her hand. Ooh, there we go. Another in... foreshadowing that I forgot. You know, what are you going to do? spear all over her. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah he sticks her with his spear for sure uh but yeah he she sort of walks over towards Bran and she's developed like a cute little relationship with Bran by this point you know they've sort of grown to be a, a, a couple you know like a pair I should say not mm-hmm. a couple but um you know and Bran is just doesn't have to say much he just says why it's your dream little lord 
the ocean has come to swallow this place, and I ain't letting it drown me. Yeah, <laughs> which is good. But she uh, and she doesn't. She doesn't she, let it drown any of them. You know, she yeah. She ends up devising a plan. That was the initial stage of her plan. I think that she would have mm-hmm. used any power she would have attained from that to save Bran and crew. But she ends up doing it later in the episode, which is great. But then we learn that Roderick has been caught on the way back from Torin Square. So there's our mention of Torin and encapsulating this event of Torin hood. Full, full circle in, yeah. in a way. Yeah. So it, Theon is such a douche again. It grieves me that we meet as foes. He's <laughs> like, it grieves me that you have less honor than a back alley whore, Theon. I wrote that down. That's one of my favorite lines. Right? Roderick is a badass. He's consistently been pretty hardcore. He was like grievously wounded and doesn't let it like hold down Cat on her tr- trip to the Vale and whatnot. And um, so he here he just no holds barred. He tells he won't bow down to Theon, fucking Theon Greyjoy. You know I should have put a spear in your belly instead of in your hand. Um, yes. Another mention of a spear in, in a hand, um, which is interesting. Like right in a row like that. Didn't I just only realize that right now. Um, Especially since his spear is about to get taken. <laughs> oh yeah, damn! Yeah, that's foreshadowing that spear being taken from his hand and for from his body. His <laughs> so there's a lot of phallic uh, metaphors and yes, foreshadowing. Metaphor, symbolism, yeah. foreshadowing, <laughs> phallic foreshadowing. <laughs> that's you know what I've changed it. That's my number one. It's going to be. Alec foreshadow. <laughs> All right, awesome. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. Okay, so he's like, you know, you're less honor than a back alley whore. You were raised here. These are your people. And he's like, these aren't my people. And this is a really intense scene, and it it's Theon's um, psychology coming out again. Um, you know, he's explaining his his like the way his gears are turning. You know, he got a chance to vent to his dad. Now he's venting to Roderick. And um, he's like, the King Rob thought of you as a brother, you know. He's like, my brothers are dead. They died fighting Stark men, you know, men like you. And the uh, uh, Roderick just turns it right back around on him like, yeah, they died starting fighting a war. Your idiot father started, you know. Right. Lord Lord Stark raised you well among his own sons. And then Theon turns that back on Roderick, and he's like, among them, but not one of them. You know, I was this hostage, taken from my home, you know, which is fucked up. And uh, then I know, Roderick, poor like, Theon, boo-hoo. Yeah, then Roderick really pulls on the heartstrings, and he's like, if he, if Ned were alive to see this, you know. He, like, well, he's that, dead. Yeah, that, like, triggers Theon. He's like, he's not, he's dead, you know. The seven kings kingdoms are at war, and Winterfell is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, Idiot. Yeah, and he's, he's, that's when he says, I should have put a sword in your belly instead of in your hand. Oh, it's great. So it's a sword and not a spear this time. Uh, and he's like, you serve this house, fa- house faithfully, old man, but keep talking and all. And that's when Roderick unleashes the big guns and spits in Theon's face. I loved that. Oh, man. That's just so disrespectful. Well, he was just, he wasn't planning on killing him. Right. Yeah, he really didn't want to. Like we mentioned before, he went out of, he, instead of just doing what his father wanted, you know, he thought he was going to be doing what he wanted. Like, that's what the Ironborn do. Like, they don't follow orders. They take what they want. They do what they want. But instead, now he's just doing what Dagmar wants him to do. 
being manipulated by Dagmer here, right? Yes, and it, you know, it, oh gosh, if he wasn't there, maybe he would have kept Roderick alive. Maybe he wouldn't have even gone as far as he did, but when he got to Winterfell, but it's interesting because when he, I'm just circling back real quick uh, to the beginning. Do you remember when we were talking about earlier when Rob said that he wanted to look at Theon and ask him why before he executed him? Right. And then later in the episode at this moment, Bran, or actually it was, I guess, earlier in the episode, but Bran actually got to say that. He said, why? He goes, I've taken the castle. And Bran just looks at him. He's waking up. He's like, why? Right. Yeah. And he asked asked Osha the same thing, too. Just why? So Bran got to ask. (laughs) Yeah, and he got to, he got to ask. He said, "Well, I can't serve Rob and my father at the same time." Right. That that was like his reasoning. It's like, well, uh, you th- just took an oath to serve Rob, so you should be doing that, really. Because you just but, took a knee and swore on your swore your sword to Rob. Yes, he did. In a big, ser- he was like one of the first ones to do it. Am I your brother now and always? Yes, Theon. You know, and like he drops on his knee, like you fucking a bastard, dude. You're watching that. If you've watched the whole series, you watch that again and you just want to like just punch him straight in the face yeah. when, when he start when he gets down on his knees and he says that. But when he gets the pike for the very first time, isn't he telling everybody that he's the prince? That um, he's their future king? Oh, yeah, he might actually. Yeah, that's what he tells to uh, to Yara when he's like doing dirty stuff to her. So I just remember that this is because Rob was offering to let Balon be king of the Iron Islands again, and Theon was there to uh, offer him that as part of the terms to work with him now against Joffrey. I'd like to tell your grandchildren about when you'd like had a night with a future king or something, right? Gross. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Dagmer like manipulates Theon into sentencing Sir Roderick to death as the Starks and Stark loyalists watch on in horror as their beloved and respected Sir Roderick, who is their trainer of their knights, you know, and like one of Ned's like right-hand men. And he's just, everybody just has a huge respect for Roderick. Um, He's just a good guy, you know, according to everybody. Um, Sir Roderick, I sentence you to death. And everybody's just watching on in horror, screaming out, no, you know, (laughs) it's horrible. And that was one of the worst deaths. Yeah, and Roderick, you know, kneels over and Theon asks if he has any last words, I think. And he's so, like, he's just full of, of honor, you know. And, and even in his last moments, he doesn't condemn Theon. He he asks the gods to help Theon. He says, gods help you, Theon Greyjoy. Now you are truly lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> which is Theon is just like... Then, like, as we said, he hacks his head off and kicks it off to finish it. And he just looks like at that moment, he's busted. He's broken. And uh, that's the beginning where I think he starts to crack, forming the uh, the pathway for the creation of Reek. Yes, I, I can I can get on board with that. It's the first moment he like really did something like did really fucked up, you know, like nothing he did at that point up till that point wasn't like really reversible you know like Bran could be like listen we're gonna forget about this but never fucking come back to Winterfell or we will blow Pike into the fucking ocean you know what I mean yes Um, that's true you're right that was his that was his act 
that was the Rubicon where he crossed. Like, there's no turning back after killing Roderick. Like, that's it. Um, well, and he did it so horribly. And I think that that was very telling of who Theon is. He doesn't. He he didn't strike he hard care and for true. his sword, but he also didn't. He probably didn't care care for his sword the way that you know a true fighter who knows what they're doing does, you know, you sharpen right. your sword. You're always supposed to be ready. And he probably has just had it sheathed for, um, you know, for show, yeah. you know, he's a lot of, he's a lot of show and no substance. It's also not and, like a big heavy sword and it's not Valyrian steel. So it, a sword like that could take a couple hacks, you know, theoretically it'd be interesting to, to mm. learn more about that. Not by experience. Yeah, but. I guess I thought of it as him as it being directly related to the fact that you know he it could, he it, was all yeah. su- he was all uh, show. Yeah, he's not a well-oiled military machine with a sharp blade right. that's going to single cut this guy's head off. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it too. For but sure. But he also just I don't even think that he deep down believes that he is a prince. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, he's just trying, he's trying to convince everybody around him that he's somebody that he's just not. And when he's asked to prove it and do an honorable thing, he can't even do that right. Yeah. He, let alone, not alone, not, not only does he not think he's a prince deep down, but he doesn't know who the fuck he is deep down. He doesn't figure that out until season seven when John tells him, you know, you're both a Stark and a Greyjoy. And it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like wallowing in total, like, total psychological confusion here of a massive identity crisis this whole series am i a prince am i a ward am i a hostage am i a Greyjoy? am i a stark am i am i I a eunuch am i a reek am i theon you know like who the fuck am i um yeah so it's just crazy all these yeah this theon stuff it's just like it's wild man it's wild he's an interesting character he, uh, Alfie sad. Allen, I got to give it to him because he is so a reprehensible character. Yeah. But you end up feeling for him. Yeah. Do you, yeah. you end up coming around on him. Yeah. Like my last note here is like a, 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 a sad emoji with a little tear, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like it that your notes have emojis. Well, it wasn't really an emoji. <laughs> it was like a, a colon apostrophe uh, parentheses down, you know, like <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. Sadly, yeah. I know exactly what you <laughs> An apostrophe. So Theon fucks up there by, you know, taking uh. Winterfell one. That's a fuck up because he doesn't have any backup. Yara is not going to send the 500 soldiers he wants. Like he's just being an idiot. Um, his, his, his dad's the king of, Iron, of the Iron Islands, not of the fucking North. They don't have the capacity to hold the North. Uh, it's ridiculous. Even that guy who's like, I, you know, I serve the Starks. Like, how long do you think you're going to be able to hold the North before? Boom. And that's when he gets hit behind from behind. Like, obviously, Theon can't hold the North. It's ridiculous. Everybody sees it except him. Yara knows it. Balon's like, this is a joke, right? Um, so he screws up by taking Winterfell. He screws up by killing Roderick. He's, he's, he's going to continue to screw up a lot. But his next big screw up is... Um, by letting Osha agree, by agreeing to let Osha serve him, quote unquote. Yes. <laughs> it's like, there's other ways I could serve you, Theon. You know? <laughs> we know things, savage things. <laughs> she starts stripping. 
And he's like, oh. Well, everybody knew. He's like, I'm into savage things. <laughs> he's like, I'm into whatever I can dip this into. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so he agrees to give her her freedom in exchange for serving him well. And she serves him well enough to make him pass out. And for some reason, she doesn't kill him, but she sneaks out and sneaks off and is brilliant in dealing with the other guardsmen as well. The guy's like, what are you doing out here? You know, <laughs> she's like, oh, I've been I've been told by Prince Theon to make the rounds and keep you all warm, you know, and slickly slits his throat. Ushers Bran, Rickon, the direwolves, and Hodor to safety. Um, and I just fucking love Osha. She's she's such a badass. And um, like, there's one part where right after she slits the guy's throat, it cuts, and she's like posed, like peering around a corner, and she like waves waves Bran and them on, and she just looks like so gangster and so like wild and rugged. And uh, yeah, yeah, I would have. Yeah, I would have failed the same way Theon did in this scene, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> she is amazing. Yeah. I, I 100% Natalia Tena. agree. Yeah, she's gorgeous. She's also and nipped dynamic the door and, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. Did you ever watch Harry Potter? Yeah, yeah. I I don't rem- I didn't remember her, That's all like I her s- character. Um, but yeah, I remember we talked about it before. Also, yeah, she it. was great. She was great on in Harry Potter as well. So, yeah, I I will marry her. her hopefully. Um, if you're listening, Natalia, give me a call. That's pretty much wraps up my number two or one at that point. OSHA fucking rules. Theon fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> And podcast over. <laughs> yeah. Peace. It was perfect. I like that very much so. <laughs> nice. So let's take a quick break before we finish our top five to talk about Audible. In case you guys don't know, Audible is an awesome app and website that provides a killer interface for downloading and playback of audiobooks. And for listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you an opportunity to check out their service. As you guys all know, the first time I read A Game of Thrones was through Audible's uh, free trial with their free audiobook download. And so I'm excited to be able to offer this to you guys now. So all you have to do is sign up for a free month trial of Audible and you get to pick any book from their audiobook arsenal that you want. And Audible is awesome. They have lots of cool policies. Like if you're not satisfied with the book, you can exchange it for another one. No questions asked. Um, which I've done before, and it, they didn't ask any questions. They just let you do it, so it's really cool. As you know, Audible has another great policy that allows you to mail a book to a friend as a gift um, to any all of your friends. You can mail one book to every friend, and as long as they've never received a book from you before, then they can download that book for free and listen to it. So what I recommend doing is signing up for a free membership of Audible with using our affiliate link, audibletrial.com slash gom. And using that to download a Game of Thrones for free. And then when you do that, you can send me your email address. Uh, email us at game at podcastica.com or send us a Facebook message. And I'll email you A Clash of Kings, book two, for free as well. All thanks to Audible and their awesome policies. So it's great. Without committing to spend a single dime, you can get a free audiobook or two if you email me as well. 
and you're also helping to support Game of Microphones. So it's a 360 win. You win, you get free stuff, you help support us, and uh, you don't actually have to spend any money at all if you don't end up liking the service. But you will love it. I love it. So please take us up on this offer. You will not regret it. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash G-O-M, as in Game of Microphones. Thanks, Audible. And back to the show. Um, so my number one is the pretty much the only subject that we haven't really talked about, and that is what's going on in Karth. Right. Um, I called it the miseducation of Daenerys Targaryen. Huh. Um that eventually culminates in the iconic line, Where are my dragons? Yes. Where are my dragons? Where Which they obviously my... stole from Tony Jaw's movie, The Protector, where he's like, Where are my elephants? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I totally saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Lisa I... saw it. <laughs> Lisa Moreno? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> There you go, Lisa. Shout out. Where are my elephants? I don't even know what you're talking about. What did you say? <laughs> There's a great movie called The Pr- Protector by um, Tony Jaa, who's basically Bruce Lee mixed with Jackie Chan and Jet Li, like all combined into one. Um, oh, cool. He's the, the man. Ung Bak, he's really famous for, which is a really, really good. He's a Thai, uh, Thai martial artist. Actually, he's Cambodian. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he's just master of Muay Thai, and uh, his movies are spectacular. He pulls off martial arts feats that are hard to comprehend or physically possible. So it's pretty oh, cool. I love that. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. He kills, like, or maims and disfigures, like, hundreds and hundreds of guys just trying to find his elephants that they've stolen in this movie, The Protector. <laughs> and he like, says, where are my elephants? Where are my <laughs> Got it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. That's the plot of the movie. That's the whole movie right there. But uh, oh my gosh, you could never imagine like how awesome the the martial arts are without seeing it, though. Yeah. Well, I I like yeah I like kung fu type of movies too. We can so. post a trailer for that too if you want. Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll post it in the comments for when we release the episode or something. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So um so Daenerys is still trying to get her ships. And she is still very young and very inexperienced and very naive in the fact that she thinks that all she has to do is show up in Westeros with, you know, these three baby dragons, uh, 20 Dothraki and Jorah, and she's going to reclaim the throne because everybody's just waiting for her to come back. I have allies in Westeros. Okay, when was the last time you were in Westeros? Um, when I was a baby, so you don't have allies in Westeros. So you don't have allies in <laughs> Westeros. And you say retake the claim, retake the throne. Did you sit on the throne? My father did. Yes, but you didn't. So you, oh. you can't retake something that you've once that you've never taken. I find so, fault with this though because it depends on your perspective. She could be speaking from the perspective of Targaryen of family, family from the house. She's the uh, the head of the house at this point. So she could be speaking in terms of their uh, their house. And then that term in that case it would be retaking the throne. But yes, I mean he does have a point and she doesn't she's not quick enough to you know in that moment to come up with what I've suggested here. And it took me a number of rewatches to come up with it as well. So I'm not saying that I'm any quicker than her. (laughs) Right. Well, it also shows, you know, just how 
how not ready she is. Right. You know, I mean, this guy, the spice King, um, he's a jerk. We all know he's a jerk. He's a pompous fool. But what he's saying to Daenerys is not wrong. Right. You know, she can't retake something she's never had. She has no army. She has no allies in Westeros. And her claim is built on wishes and dreams. He geez, cannot geez, Kristen, help. Uh, tone it down a little bit, okay? You're... I know, I'm a super, <laughs> I'm I, I'm, I'm a super downer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's funny. But, what I, but, but what's funny is that Daenerys, despite all of this, she still has her confidence. She still knows that she can do it. Yeah. Right? She's like, I will take it with fire and blood. You know, the minute she, the minute she came out of that fire with three live dragons unhurt, right. she knew she was no ordinary woman. She knew that this was her path. Yeah. You just said like, I don't, you know, you're, it's built on wishes and dreams. And she's like, I'm no ordinary woman. My dreams come true. I dreamed that I would walk into the fire with those eggs and that they would hatch. And it happened. You and know? it happened. Right. Exactly. And read the books because you get to experience her dragon dreams. Right. And you want to do that because they're very interesting. And there's hidden information and foreshadowing in Daenerys' dragon dreams in the books. So... You make you it sound like books, it's the movie National Treasure. It's, it is. There's, there's hidden clues and symbols and, it is. and a secret treasure map. It's, it makes National Treasure look like child's play, like the amount of <laughs> hidden stuff all yeah. over the, the books. Yeah, I agree with you. It's crazy. And yeah, I, liked, is, I like National This is National where we treasure. have in the background, read the books, read the books. Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. <laughs> I think we can say that now, jokingly, because I had it at the end of the last podcast. It would have been weird to just throw in there randomly before. Hail Hydra. Yeah, yeah. But I think now we can say it. And uh, just that—that's just our our reminder to all of our listeners to please read the books. Read the, read books. the books. Hail Hydra. Yeah. In fact, if you li- if you listen to our podcast, you can come up to me or Duncan at any time and say, "Read the books," and we will answer, "Hail Hydra." <laughs> and if you play our podcast in reverse, it just says "Hail Hydra" over and over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, but you have to have a Wizard of Oz on in the background <laughs> and, and Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> while watching Captain America Winter Soldier <laughs> at half yeah. speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. I think we're turning into Sir Pete of Longwood for a moment here. Well, you know, he has an effect on us, apparently. Yep. Um, so so what's interesting here with, with Daenerys is that, you know, she doesn't have anything that she's supposed to have. Her dragons are barely born she but she still has this intense confidence in herself of what her path is and what she's supposed to do and now that you know uh jora is is not there right now in this moment jora is not there i know that he's in karth but right he's, and he's gonna be in the next episode yeah but he's not there right now uh you know drogo's gone she she is slowly learning to rely on herself um, and and get away from relying on others to help her blaze a trail. And I think she's slowly realizing that she has to blaze the trail herself. 
right in order for her to take anything and that's what was that conversation started last week with Jora telling her that you know you don't want other people's stuff because you're gonna owe them you gotta earn it yourself you gotta, you gotta do build this it yourself. yourself you gotta build that you know and um uh there's a funny line that 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 relates to that in this scene where she's like you know with fire and blood i will take it you know and the spice guy's like yes my lady but not with my ships not with my ships you know he's such a dick but i love yeah. him because she's like i am here to claim what is rightfully mine and he's like whoo the drama on you girlfriend yeah right when she arrives you have a penchant for drama doesn't this one doesn't she something like that that was a I great one yeah yeah, no servant in the world can give me what I desire. I know. He's like, geez, calm down. Yeah. All he asks is if you do you want a glass of water. It's <laughs> great. Um, and Zaro is still dressing her, the two of them alike, which is uh, just bizarre to me. But um, you know, so she. So she doesn't get what she wants. She's kind of schooled a little bit on this guy um, who thinks, you know, I, I'm not going to help you, blah, blah, blah. So she leaves very discouraged. She's going back to her house. She, Zaro is sitting there, you know, telling her how cool he is again. <laughs> He's like, I'm pretty tall, girl. And they walk in and everybody's dead. Yeah, what the fuck? And that's it's interesting timing too because it's right at a line where Zaro says, "I have done many things that a righteous man would condemn, and here yes. I stand with no regrets." And the door immediately opens to this destruction and all the missing dragons. And did did Zaro play any role in this? Because we do learn that he's betrayed her and she locks him in the safe, but I don't remember what he did exactly. Was he involved with this? So, I read I read this thing this today actually earlier today and they said that there is a deleted scene in this particular episode interesting that because it didn't make it into it didn't make it into the final cut so it can't be considered canon for game of thrones right but the deleted scene is that doria killed uh, oh doria did it? yeah and then okay. she took she was responsible for breaking in and taking the dragons and getting everything um the way that it is damn so that's why she and zaro ended up in the safe because they were colluding and um, right so I think they worked was, with the warlocks then that would, that would mean right I think so. I mean, I think because it's not the episode that we can't really take it as something that actually happened as far as the story goes, but it does help with the timeline a little bit only because in the last episode, Danny was telling Doria to make Zaro happy. Right. So it is possible that she fell hook, line and sinker for his story of how rich he was and how powerful he was and decided to team up with him because Daenerys she's, wasn't getting anywhere. And she's like, ah, I've always liked dragons. We could try to take some. Yeah, I know where we could get some. <laughs> um, right. So and and the, the dragons trust her. True. That's as we important. learned in the last episode. Drogo likes her. She's able to handle them. But we do so see possible. the warlock has the, the dragons at the end of the episode, right? So, right. So what the fuck? So they must be working in league with the warlocks. Well, we'll have to pay attention to what Danny says when she puts them in the safe at the end of the season. I mean, 
Yes. Because I don't I remember know that what they're she, implicated in. Yeah, she does. Um, she does out Doria for what Doria did to her and her part in it. And yeah, there, there, there's a lot of revealing. It'll be interesting to see what happened. What, um, what happens in the next episode? Because yeah. I'm blanking on, on the next couple of moments. You know, because Karth was just one of those kind of slogs that you kind of got through. What? No way, man. I loved Karth. Eh, a little bit. I, that, really, well, for oh. me, there's there are no slogs for me. I I like everything. I you know, so I'll, that's just where I'm coming from. <laughs> well, I definitely like it better on rewatches. Um, sure. I mean, yeah. There, I mean, there, in the books too, there are people that are like, oh, I'll skip the cat chapters or I'll skip you know whatever, and I I listen to every chapter. You know what I mean? I like it all. So that's just me. I'm just a freak like that. With this we appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of it, I find it more interesting this time, especially since we're talking about before and after with the magic of the dragons and, and how the oh, warlocks yeah. are coming into play now. And uh, so, so the deeper you and I talk about this, I find it even more fascinating every single time. Nice. And I love that. And I hope that the listeners also are getting that getting more out of this as well. Yeah. You know, I feel very lucky that I get to talk about it as much as I do. And I, and um, my husband was saying just the other day that he is watching it with all new eyes as well. And he's read and reread the books and watched the series over and over. And he said, this is very different for him because he's always trying to like one up me (laughs) with with what could be like top fives and stuff like that. So it's been a lot of fun for the two of us. That's cool. He should come on sometime. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was my number one. My number one was just about kind of the direction that Danny's going, the direction that Kartha's going and just it's a, her story is about to speed up a little bit. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down, down with that. We didn't really talk about, um, about, uh, what's it called? Rob with Talisa either. Cause Rob sees Talisa on, you know, after, like when he's like kind of schmoozing with the bros for a little bit. With the lords yeah. and and um, it's funny he calls her out sort of like Tywin calls out Arya about lying about who she is and uh, he's like you know I know you're highborn don't bullshit me you're better at amputations than uh, than lying I'm afraid right yeah and he he kind of jokes that maybe she's a spy and for a little while I was like oh maybe she is a spy I wonder what she was writing she's like Enid yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's about to ask her to join him for a quick, um, <laughs> romp in the tent. No, probably for dinner or something. When, <laughs> when cat interrupts. Her when yeah. mommy shows up. <laughs> yeah. And she knows immediately, immediately. And this is the first time we hear her last name, which she says is Miger. Mm-hmm. Right. This is mm-hmm. like a Volantis house, I guess. Volantis. So that's cool. Talisa Miger. I've never like really picked up on that before. And uh, Kat obviously knows what was going on because Rob tries to change the subject after Talisa is like, oh, I should leave. You know, Rob tries to change the subject and Kat's like, I wish you were free to follow your heart. You know, like, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, you've inherited your father's responsibilities and I'm afraid they come at a cost. You know, your promise to another, a debt that must be paid, a debt that must be paid um, with 
that phrase being used with Rob and term in terms of being related to weddings, you know, and we know that the uh, the Lannisters that, that, send their regards, and debt that that debt paid. is paid, you know, by the Lannisters at that point. So that's kind of funny, foreshadowing a wedding debt being paid by somebody. And this is the first time we hear about uh, Roose's bastard. Right. Yeah. We all of a sudden Roose shows up with news from Winterfell. Um, which is fucked up, and we it cuts to another scene where we learn that Theon is has done what he's done, and like you said, Rob's like, I just want to ask him why before I fucking cut his head off myself, you know, keep that bastard alive for me. And um, so Roos mentions, you know, I could I have my bastard at at the Dreadfort, and he could round up, take five hundred soldiers or two hundred soldiers or whatever, and go take back Winterfell. And Rob authorizes it. But yes, this is the first time we're introduced to um, Roos Bolton's bastard. We've we've gotten to know Roos a, l- a little bit already, um, just through, through various scenes where he's interacting with Rob and planning things and whatnot. But now we've learned that he has a bastard who um, could potentially be in Rob's debt coming up. So it'll be interesting to see who this bastard is. <laughs> yes, it will be. It will be. It's in, it you know, it's it's so funny because when when you hear Ramsey Snow, you think who's that? You know, at the, <laughs> right. at this point. Yeah, true. Cuz he's Ramsey Bolton. Right. Yeah. That's a good so, point. That's a good point. Um So, so yeah, yeah, that pretty much <laughs> I don't really have a lot of notes, do you? No, I think that pretty much wraps wraps it up. How about you? I'm good. All right. So that's uh that covers all of our notes and we will be right back there's more to come and we're back with news about game of thrones take it away Kristen. This article comes from WECT. Uh, it is titled Game of Thrones Red Wedding is Still Traumatizing Fans. <laughs> so Good. HBO thought it had come up with a seemingly perfect way to count down the last seven days of 2017 until the new year. See seven seasons worth of action from the seven kingdoms of Westeros. Starting December 26th, the network began marathoning Game of Thrones at the rate of one season per day, creating a highly bingeable block of television programming to get us through the final slog before New Year's. That's an interesting double B. Bingeable block. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was just one problem. Viewers following along at home had kind of sort of forgotten about that thing that happens in the second to last episode of season three and ended up being traumatized all over again (laughs) when the reigns of Castamere and the horrific red wedding blazed into their living rooms on Thursday night. Still considered by many to be the most shocking moment in Game of Thrones history, if not the history of television at large, this episode saw Rob Stark, his pregnant wife Talisa, and his mother Catelyn massacred at what was merely supposed to be an awkward wedding between Edmure Tully and one of Walder Frey's various daughters. I think it's worth mentioning also that his pregnant wife was massacred as well as his unborn child who was stabbed directly uh, as well. Multiple times. Yeah, that's messed up. Needless to say, fans were not prepared. 
some saw it coming and noped out before the horror could begin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. So now there's a series of little tweets um, that people said. So it it started off with Cam Underwood at Underwood Sports says, It's the Red Wedding. (laughs) Some were never meant to watch it at all, but were victimized by their clueless parents. Chris Corwin at Chris is too lish <laughs> says my father just made me watch Rob Stark and his pregnant wife die like he's never seen the show just channel surfing and stopped on it had no idea I was silently suffering across the room <laughs> some were distraught by the hashtag alone uh, at Sid the kid underscore 97 says I'm not sure why the Red Wedding is trending, but can it not be? I'm still recovering. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's trending. And while a few visitors found themselves experiencing a total reversal of sympathy the second time around. Oh, Doug Beckham Jr. at Cal O Doug O X I I I said after rewatching a little of the Red Wedding yesterday, Rob was a fool and had what was coming to him. Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) Maybe he doesn't watch the show anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's brutal. Yeah, he like asks it as a question there. It's interesting. I yeah, I guess that's it's it's a little savage. (laughs) Uh, In the end, most everyone agreed the Red Wedding is still the worst. (laughs) So Game of Thrones final season will debut in 2019. Ah, oh, red wedding, dead wedding. Red wedding, red wedding. Dead it's wedding. time for a beheading. <laughs> <laughs> Our next item is an article from winteriscoming.net. Game of Thrones is getting a line of postage stamps from the Royal Mail. Game of Thrones merchandise comes in all shapes and sizes. Now Game of now now, now Great Britain's Royal Mail <laughs> Service has revealed a terrific line of Game of Thrones themes themed stamps due out on January 23rd for when sending mail by Raven just won't do. There will be 15 stamps in all, 10 of which will feature human characters. Jon Snow, Sansa Stark, Ned Stark, Lady Olenna, Tywin Lannister, Tyrion Lannister, Arya Stark, Cersei, Jaime, and Daenerys will be the human characters. The Iron Throne, Giants, Direwolves, (laughs) Dragons, and the Night King and White Walkers will round out the selection. The set comes out January 23rd, and different sets will be available to purchase. I think that's very cool. Yeah, if there's any stamp collectors out there, that's a pretty cool option. Yeah, the the bundles, I don't know how to really convert um, pounds over, but um, if you wanted all the people, it was, I think, 55 pounds. If you wanted the whole set, it was significantly more. If you wanted just a couple of them, it was... Wow, that's expensive. It sounds expensive, right? Yeah. So... I'm not really sure how it works out, it's, but it's wild. Anyways. Yeah. The next item is our continuation of looking at editorials from winteriscoming.net about Game of Thrones as myth. Right? Mm-hmm. So um this week we are looking at the roots of the White Walkers. So apparently there's a number of 
mythological characters that the White Walkers draw inspiration from. And we're just, there's so many that we're just going to give a real brief rundown of each since they're uh, since we're already running on a pretty long podcast at this point. But um, one group is called the AOC or Ace Sid. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but uh, AOS space SI. And uh, this term refers to an ancient supernatural race similar to fairies and elves that appear in Irish and Scottish mythology. The Cid, maybe, are, um, are said to live in unknown lands across the sea, underground in fairy mounds. Oh, AOC means people of the mounds in Irish, or an alternate world connected by various means to the world of humans. Martin's White Walkers are similar in their distant origins far north and their movement between regular space and time, as when the Night King interacted with Bran Stark in the latter's Greensight visions. There are parallels here to the White Walkers and their relationships to the ancient patterns made by the children of the forest, the weirwood trees, and Greensight. Cool. Very cool. Um, the Wild Hunt is the next one. So famous throughout much of Europe folklore... Folklore. <laughs> folklore. I don't, yeah. Fork you! Wi- <laughs> you gotta be forking kidding me. <laughs> Fork! Uh, the wild hunt involves a stormy procession of ghostly or supernatural huntsmen passing across the winter sky in pursuit of the game. The leader, generally referred to as the hunter, is often named and believed to be associated with the Norse god Odin, the devil, or a number of other local historical mythological figures. The members of the hunt are said to be fairies, elves, or the dead. Anyone who is an eyewitness to the wild hunt is most likely doomed, perhaps by a looming catastrophe such as the war or plague. I wonder if Odin, the hunter, is related to Orion, the hunter, um, the constellation. Maybe there's some type of connection there. There seems to be all sorts of connections between these mythologies, right? That's very interesting. Yeah, because also Odin, or... Orion, which I'm thinking, you know, he's the the belt of Orion. He's got a bow. He's wielding a bow up there as the constellation. So maybe there is some sort of connection. It's, yeah. Orion is the one that wields the bow. Right. Yeah. And it just right. sounds so similar to Odin, both starting with O and ending in N, you know, maybe there's some connection. Um, the conceptual parallels between the Wild Hunt and the White Walkers are significant. The Wild Horde appears in the deepest, darkest, and coldest reaches of midwinter, and its single leader, like the Night King, has great supernatural powers. Odin, a Norse god of the dead, is often portrayed as the leader of the Wild Hunt, and like the White Walkers' White Horde, the Wild Hunt Horde is often described as the reanimated dead. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, that's much. really cool. Next is the Valkyrie. Riding famously down from the heavens, the Old Norse Valkyrie, from the Old Norse Valkyria, Valkyria, for chooser of the slain, are a host of female warriors tasked with descending to earth to resurrect half the dead human warriors, the Einherjar. Einherjar. (laughs) That looks right. Einherjar, right? Yes, good job. (laughs) From the battlefield and carry them to Valhalla. The fairest Valkyrie has white skin. So that Ooh. seems to parallel the uh, the the woman seen from atop the wall, potentially by the original Night King. Um, the Valkyrie, also called Death Maidens in the pros- 
Edda operate under the auspices of Odin, and their talent for human resurrection bears some resemblance to what the Night King pulled off in the Hardhome episode. Interesting. Yeah, the Valkyrie are also connected to ravens and horses, both important elements in Game of Thrones. I think that's good for that. Oh, yeah. look, it's Einherjar. It's the Einherjar. Einher. <laughs> Einherjar. Ein- yep, that's hard. The Norse Einerhar. Einer. Oh my gosh. Okay, if anybody knows how to say it, just let us know. I'd say Einherjar. Einherjar. Okay. There it is. Are interesting as an example of resurrected human warriors. They make their first appearance in the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. In Old Norse, Einherjar means single or once fighters. Okay, well, let's just call them that. They were were killed while exhibiting bravery in battle and resurrected and taken to Valhalla by the Valkyries. Uh, the similarities to White Walker are broad. Like the Whites, the Einherjar are essentially an undead army. Beyond that, the similarities end. The Valkyrie are selective, raise the dead whole, and escort them into an eternal feast of heavenly pork and mead. On the other hand, the Night King raises his armies in mass as zombie Whites who suffer from physical decay. So it's like the Valkyrie are the White Walkers and the Einherjar are the Whites. Whites. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Next, we have the Hari. Moving on to actual history, let's take a look at the Hari, a frightening Germanic tribe that mythology scholars often connect with the Einherjar. Writing in the first century AD, ancient Roman historian Tacitus described them as this in his Germania. As for the Hari, quite apart from their strength, which exceeds that of the other tribes that I've just listed, they pander to their innate savagery by skill and timing. With black shields and painted bodies, they choose dark nights to fight, and by means of terror and shadow of a ghostly army, they cause panic. Since no enemy can bear a sight so unexpected and hellish, in every battle the eyes are are the first to be conquered. Scholars including John Lindau, author of Norse Mythology, A Guide to the Gods, Heroes, Rituals, and Beliefs, have connected this ancient army of the living with the mythological armies of the dead, such as the Einherjar and the Wild Hunt. So I guess they just have a similar appearance and psychological effect as the, uh, as the white army would have. I mean, interesting. Uh, next up is Draugr. Yeah, the Draugr. An old Norse undead creature, the Draugr, is a reanimated human who guards his own grave or burial mound. They possess incredible strength and can increase their size at will and carry with them an awful stench of decomposition. Like Martin's whites, Draugr bodies are hideous and blackened, though Draugrs tend to also swell up. Gross. (laughs) Although confined confined somewhat to their Barrows, the Draugr share some physical traits with the White Walkers and Whites. But the real similarities come in when we consider the Draugr's magical abilities called Trollscup, which include shape-shifting, warging, manipulating weather, the White Walkers bringing the cold with them, and seeing into the future, green sight. What's more, the Draugr can enter the dreams of the living as the Night King does to Bran Stark and potentially curse their victims. Wow, that's badass. That is cool. That's so cool. Yeah, you deal with a lot of Draugr in the the game Skyrim. Mm. So that's that's kind of fun. The next one we have is the Nazgul. The Nazgul or Ringwraiths. I love these words. Yeah. <laughs> the Nazgul or Ringwraiths are fictional characters from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings world. 
George R. R. Martin has made it, admitted that he reveres Tolkien and considers him the father of modern fantasy. So it's not a stretch to imagine that some of Martin's creations might have roots in Tolkien's deeply researched mythological beings. The Nazgul are nine mortal men who fell under the complete control of the evil Sauron, who turned them into near-immortal wraiths and most terrible servants. Their bodies have become invisible. Although when Frodo Baggins wore the one ring around them, he saw them as pale figures with crowns. The Witch King of Angmar is their leader. He carries a Morgul blade that can turn a human into a wraith and used black magic to destroy the gates of Minas Tirith. <laughs> like the White Walkers, the Nazgul ride fearsome mounts and have a leader who can transform people into undead beings. Hmm. You know, I was just thinking... Travis would very much love this article. Oh, yeah, he would. Definitely. Travis, you're going to read this article. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Dead of Dunharrow. The Dead of Dunharrow are another fictional creation of J.R.R. Tolkien's. The group is also known as the Shadow Host and the Grey Host. There are ghosts of men of the White Mountains, an army who betrayed King Isildur by refusing to honor their oath to come to his aid when he fought the dark dark lord Sauron in the war of the last alliance Isildur punished the entire army cursing their spirits to wander without rest until they fulfilled their oath to him or one of his descendants the curse was lifted thousands of years later with when Aragorn called upon the dead of Dunharrow to fight alongside him in the war of the ring once their pledge was fulfilled the death vanished the dead vanished, finally released into the afterlife. Damn, I forgot about that. Although they are an army of spirits in limbo, the dead of Dunharrow are different from the White Walkers and their whites because they appear to be shades. Their ghostly horses all move at the same speed, and although they carry and though they carry weapons and communicate through horn blasts, these things probably did not have a physical presence. Their great value was their ability to unnerve their opponents through fear. Wow, that's that's hardcore. Next, we have the Lich, a relative newcomer to the world of fantasy fiction, the undead Lich from the Old English Lick, or word for corpse, like Lichyard or Lichfield, which is like graveyard, gravefield type thing, um, is an invention of fantasy authors. It makes early appearances as the Tulsa Doom in the works of Robert E. Howard, Skullface, Scarlet Tears, and Ambrose Bierce, The Death of Halpin Fraser. This character is the result of transformation, usually a powerful sorcerer or king seeking great power and or immortality who's reduced to a shriveled or brutally deformed and wasted hulk in the process. Um, so that quite obviously reflects the Night King. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Liches are rare and the result of story-specific process rather than being a member of a homogenous race or group. Despite becoming physically desiccated, the lich retains his or her intelligence even or even becomes smarter and often hmm. controls hordes of zombie-like undead creatures. This is similar to how the Night King, who also underwent a physical transformation courtesy of the Children of the Forest, albeit an unwilling one, controls his own army of the dead. So, yeah, it's definitely Night King style there. Very much so. Uh, the next one is the Bible. With the help of God, Ezekiel raises an army of dead Israelites to, to take back their homeland. The dead are reanimated as living, breathing human beings. 
The Night King performs a similar feat when he reanimates the slaughtered wildling army at Hardhome, although his resurrected whites are rather the worse for wear. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So there's also various assorted mythologic, mythical folklore creatures who display some of the characteristics we see of the Night King, the, Night, the White Walkers, and the Whites. That includes the Fext, um, which is a Slavic being, I guess, 17th century undead creatures born of the terrors of the Thirty Years' War. The Fext were believed to be immortal, vulnerable only to bullets made of glass. That's pretty cool. Super specific, <laughs> super specific vulnerability is also an aspect of the White Walkers, who can only be killed by dragon glass or Valyrian steel. So that's similar to like werewolves too, right? Or vampires who have yes. specific uh, things that kill them. Mm-hmm. And lastly is the Barbagazi. Yeah. Very much a traditional type, this rarely sighted mountain dwarf gnome usually appears as a small man covered in white fur with a bushy beard and huge feet. It can use as snowshoes or sleds to negotiate precipitous slopes. Like white walkers, the barbagazi, which comes from the French word for frozen beard, <laughs> remain, remain dormant during the summer and only emerge in the winter at the first snowfall. Unlike the white walkers, the barbagazi can be helpful to humans. In conclusion, while George R.R. R. Martin's White Walkers are unique creations, he has incorporated psychological and physiological characteristics found in other mythological creatures that have been frightening human beings from the dawn of time right up until today. From the alternate fairy worlds of the Cid to the midwinter horde of the Wild Hunt, from the dead resurrecting Valkyrie to the blue-skinned Draugr, we can see the mythological and folkloric underpinnings of the White Walkers and their white army winking at us from the oldest and darkest cellars of the human imagination. So yeah, that's pretty fun. Glad we got a chance to cover another um, article from this series of Game of Thrones as myth. Yeah, thank you to uh, Richard Preston who wrote the article. Yes. on Good Winternet is coming or oh, Winternet. I did <laughs> it again on Winter is coming. I did, I did that last week. Or... <laughs> <laughs> it was me. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. The Winternet. Um, and if you want to check out that article, I'm sure that we will post it today or when uh, by the time that this episode airs. So you can take a look for yourself if you yes, like I'm... to. And you can follow Richard Preston at Richard E. Preston. I'm sure on Twitter. <laughs> nice. We will be uh, right back with Raven's Calls. <laughs> Lady Gigi Lugo. When Theon tells Bran he's taking Winterfell, he's so confused and thinks that it's a joke at first. Did you hate us the whole time? Says Bran. <laughs> Osha confirms with Bran that it's his dream. The ocean has come to swallow them. Poor Bran crying when Theon kills Sir Roderick. The fact that Theon can't even cut Sir Roderick's head off properly makes me cringe. Love seeing Ghost again. I wish we would have gotten a short scene with him in season 7. Yeah, seriously. I completely forgot about Littlefinger, aka Bay, <laughs> coming to talk to Tywin. Does he know it's Arya? He definitely has to if he brings up the deal with Kat regarding her daughters. John meets Ygritte. Ygritte telling John and the Watch to burn the bodies, hinting at White Walkers. Referencing when Kristen is talking about the strong women in Game of Thrones, rewatching this time, I realize how brave Sansa is for speaking up and talking back to Joffrey. Yeah, that's a good point. She was, <laughs> yeah, getting out of line there with the Hound in that one scene with Joffrey. 
Tyrion wondering where Sansa is. If she dies, you'll never get your Uncle Jamie back, and you owe him quite a bit, you know. He's your dad, you vicious idiot king. <laughs> I just love Tyrion so much. Poor Sansa. Love how the Hound slash Sandor calls her Little Bird. Tywin asking Arya if she can read and questioning a stonemason being able to read. <laughs> I do like when he's t telling Arya about teaching Jamie how to read. And the first time I saw the episode, I hated that Osha slept with Theon. I didn't understand what she was doing, but she was so smart and sacrifices herself for Bran and Rickon. Not sure why she didn't kill him, but I guess it all fits with the storyline. Thank you, Lady GG. Karen Farr. I had forgotten how this episode started. I had to restart it a couple of times just to make sure I wasn't missing an episode. Here's a few of my thoughts. One, I like to think that Sir Roderick is the one who curses Theon to his life of misery. With this rewatch, I no longer feel sorry for Theon. He is dead to me again. <laughs> I totally agree with you. <laughs> Number two, if Tywin suspects his cupbearer to be Arya, shouldn't all the dancing around his table by Arya and Baelish be the ultimate clue that she is who he thinks that she is? In parentheses, Kristen, I finally <laughs> noticed Littlefinger's voice changes. Yes. But he knows that she's a known unknown that is not known to him. Right, exactly. <laughs> so he may know that he knows that she knows, but nobody right. really knows what anybody else knows. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think we figured it out pretty concisely there. Yeah. Yeah, I think we totally, we, we, we nailed that We nailed one. that down pretty well. Um, number three, Tyrion slapping Joffrey. That is all kinds of great feels. Have a great week, guys. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Matthew Rep says, I am having some conflicted thoughts of whether I believe Littlefinger recognized Arya as Tywin's cupbearer. I forget if he ever shared any screen time with Arya in season one, but she was at court while he was on the small council. He gave a rather smug look when he finally noticed her in the meeting with Tywin, but why keep that information to himself when it would advance his cause? He promised Kat that he would trade both her daughters for Jaime, even though he knew that the Lannisters only still had possession of Sansa in King's Landing. What would his reasoning be to withhold that knowledge from Tywin when he is already trying to gain favor with him by brokering a marriage with the Tyrells? Hmm. Yeah, like he could be like, oh, well, just in case you didn't know, that's Arya Stark right there. So uh, you might want to know that. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but I just thought I'd let you know that I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's hardcore. Uh, Nick Wickens, Theon is so dumb and pathetic in this episode and onwards. Really, on the face really of it, dumb, for real. <laughs> Totes. <laughs> on the face of it, it does look like an impressive move to take Winterfell. However, every decision after that is foolish and he's easily manipulated. He kills all the ravens, cutting off his own lines of communication with anyone outside of the walls. Stupid. He executes one of his most valuable prisoners in Roderick. Why does he keep taking advice from an Iron Islander? Not exactly known for their intelligence, are they? <laughs> Which I guess explains his own problem. Oh, bazinga. That's a, that's a nice little bazinga. Yeah, this is a nice little bazinga. <laughs> But he should know better, having grown up with the Starks as a hostage himself. If anyone should know the value of this, it's him. Stupid. Then he repeats his mistake, even if by just pretending to have killed the boys. So to, to the outside world, he executes three of his four most valuable prisoners and the fourth later gets killed as well. <laughs> his attempt at beheading Roderick was pathetic. 
Falling for Osha's trick was also pathetic and stupid. I could go on and on here, but I'm aware I'm starting to ramble on, so I'll leave it here. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so let's let's uh, nail down who these valuable prisoners are. To the outside world, he executes three of his four valuable prisoners. That's um, Roderick. Roderick, Bran, and Rickon, right? So who would mm-hmm. the fourth be? Lewin. Lewin. Oh, true. Yeah, he does die as well. Okay. Yeah, good good uh good take on that, Nick. Yeah, thank you for your feedback. Lady Alicia says, I think this is the only time in Game of Thrones series that we see Theon this confident in himself. Am I right? He is finally feeling like a true ironborn, at least for a couple episodes, and yet he still doesn't truly know how to be a Greyjoy when he's told how to punish Sir Roderick. Starks aren't taught how to punish with the iron price. They show mercy. Cle- clearly he's lost at what is right versus wrong. This scene made me feel bad for Theon. Speaking speaking of Theon and his confidence, let's discuss the chopping off of his man parts for a sec, because I need some major clarification. (laughs) Did Ramsay chop off the stick or the stones or both? I remember Ramsay sending his parts to Balon in a box. Are we ever really certain what was in it? If it was the entire thing, honestly, how would he survive? Wouldn't he have bled out? I mean, how does he even pee? Come on, this is a real question here. (laughs) With a laughing emoji. Also, the way Theon speaks to Bran, letting him know to yield and was taking over that he was taking over Winterfell, saying, Think carefully about what you want to say, Bran. Kind of mirrors Ramsay and how he speaks to Theon when he's torturing him in the dungeon. That, that's it for now, guys. Have a great podcast. Thanks so much. So I think I think they took everything. You do? Oh. I only say that because in this uh, season finale of season seven, when he got kneed in the balls, he looked up at him like, like that did nothing. And right. that's where oh, that's where Theon that's got his his oh. confidence that he could take him. You're right. That means they definitely took everything. Because yes. if the balls were still there, that would have had a major that would have sent him, him to the ground. So we do know definitively at this point that the the uh, pillar and the stones were both removed. And he probably uh, just pees out of a hole. Probably. Uh, and the healing process would be the worst part for that. But he probably do, probably didn't bleed out because they would have cauterized it. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. gosh. <laughs> Which just makes the healing process even more uh, unimaginable. Ugh. Our good friend Avelino says, just rewatch the episode again. The scene when the peasants revolted and tore apart that fat nobleman was some real walking dead shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Lifting up the no arm. one... And seeing no one in action before understanding his full background was great. We didn't talk about him. Right. And we also didn't talk about Arya practicing her game of faces with Tywin as she lied about who her father was. Yep. Foreshadowing the House of Black and White. That's true. I'm also making a long shot prediction and say what that I think Tyrion will be with Sansa by the end. I don't have anything to base that on other than the fact that he was genuinely concerned for her safety when the mob rebelled and always treated her well. Also, I wouldn't be surprised if she comes to love him after understanding he was the only one of the guys in her life who treated her like a human being. Well, 
There you go. Her and Sandor. Yeah, and I would say that Sandor might cut Tyrion in half so that he could have Sansa to himself, but he's already the half man. Oh, <laughs> he'd be a quarter man. He'd be a quarter man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be interesting. That's a great little triangle right there. And uh, the same thing would apply to Sandor, too, that she would be, uh, she could come to love him after understanding he was one, one of the only guys in her life that treated her like a human and helped, helped her protect her. Mm-hmm. His little bird. It's not your typical love triangle, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, really good one. Um, Wendy Ott Eppers, hey Wendy, says, Corin talks about the Night's Watch. Arya tries to hide from Littlefinger. Joffrey learns a little about mob rules. <laughs> the Hound <laughs> saves Sansa. We met Igrit. We meet Igrit, triple hearts. I could listen to Igrit talk all day. Do you think Rose Leslie would do my voicemail? <laughs> and <laughs> where are my dragons? <laughs> Have you ever seen the video of um, Amelia Clark doing where, where is my latte? Oh, where I think so. Where is the bathroom? Yeah. Yeah, where is the toilet paper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's funny. I like it that she can do humor like that i heard some Mm -hmm. story about her being stuck on a toilet like she got glued to a toilet or something somewhere for 20 minutes or yeah something it was after After um, blood stuck all over from doing the scene eating the heart or something like that the heart Mm -hmm. (laughs) right we talked about that on the episode (laughs) earlier for season one that's great now we have emails. The first one is from Archmaester Rennie. Duncan and Kristen, I may be too late this week. I got thrown off by the holidays. Maybe you did too. If not, and I'm not and I'm too late, no worries. Renly's death is so well done. That glimpse in the mirror of the shadow baby's face. Oh, this is from last week. Okay. Yep. Renly's death is so well done. That glimpse in the mirror of the shadow baby's face when just for a moment it's Stannis's face and then Catelyn and Brienne in the aftermath. It's one of the most intense and well done scenes of the entire show. Definitely. This episode has a great series. Wait, a series of great dyads. Caitlin and Brienne, Littlefinger and Marjorie, Tyrion and Cersei, Tyrion and Lancel, Stannis and Davos, Tyrion and Bronn. Arya and Jaqen, Bran and Osha, Jorah and Daenerys. Dyads, couple, nice word. Huh? Yes. Dyads, that's cool. I did I did appreciate that. Um, a couple of nice moments when Jorah asked uh Quaith, is it Quaith or Kaith? Quaith. Quaith. That's what I say at least. George Mar- yeah. R. Martin doesn't really care about how people pronounce the words. I like that about him. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're all hard. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of nice moments when Jorah asks Quaith who she is, she says, no one. Yes. Does this mean she's a faceless man? And Roy Dotrice appearing as a pyromancer is lovely for us audiobook fans. Yes, ma'am. Having Arya be Tywin's cupbearer in Harrenhal is still one of my favorite show deviations from the books. Right. In the, the books, scenes- she's Roose Bolton's cupbearer. That's right. The scenes between them are just so brilliant. I love Charles' dance, and it's remarkable how a very young Maisie Williams stands right up to him as an actor. Very much so. <laughs> wow, totally agree. Yeah. Best line of the episode, Tyrion to Lancel. Even torturing you is boring. <laughs> that was a great line. Least true line of the episode, Jorah to Daenerys. You have a gentle heart. Everything she does from here on proves that she does not. <laughs> Archmaester Rennie, who does not, who also does not have a gentle heart. Thanks, Archmaester Rennie. Always good to hear from you. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I also really love Charles Dance's acting in, in this show, and 
him, he and Arya together made, did make a great duo. I agree. Quite dynamic. Our next email comes from Sir Clayton Slater. Wow, that's an epic name. I love it. Um, hey guys, first great podcast. Just wanted to share my take on whether Tywin Lannister knows that he has Arya Stark. I believe he does. I know you're wrestling with the idea that if Tywin knew he had Arya, he would take her up, take her and lock her up immediately. I don't believe that that is the case. Tywin knows that there are no secrets in Westeros, and that there are spies everywhere, as illustrated by by Littlefinger telling Ned Stark about the spies. If Tywin seizes Arya, the cat is out of the bag and everyone would know he has her. Better to leave her as his cupbearer. Thanks again. Great podcast. Clayton, Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, that's a good point. It really is. You could keep her right there with nobody the wiser and her even thinking she'd, she's not caught. Right. You know? that's, that's also a very good point. Definitely. Interesting. Uh, next is from Lord Jim of Conrad, Sir Duncan and Lady Kristen. A caller used the term pater familias recently. You didn't seem to know it. It's a Latin phrase for head of the household. The caller was making this in reference to Sandor Clegane not being fatherly material. The caller may have picked up the term from the movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou with George Clooney at his goofy best. <laughs> Here's the clip. Nice. And then he gets a clip. We can add that clip to the comments under um, our Facebook page when we drop this podcast, too. Yes. Thanks, Lord Jim. I appreciate that. Pater familias. It's uh, pater meaning father and familias meaning family. So the father of the family, the head of the house. Yeah, I took four years of Latin in high school, too, and I just this just flew right past me. I must not have even heard our caller mention it. I didn't. That's the first time I've heard that. Thanks for pointing that out, because it's pretty cool. And I apologize to the caller that it both went, it went over both of our heads. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Our next email takes us to Sir Pete's conspiracy corner. And now it's you. (laughs) (laughs) I get to listen this week. (laughs) Yeah. Hey guys, I read somewhere that in, in the original draft, George wrote Salador San as Salador Soup. An innkeep known throughout the Riverlands for the time he catered for a tourney in which Sir Barristan Celery beat the mountain mm. that rides in a pie-eating contest. Salador accused the mountain of using his hands, and it is rumored that the soup ended up in a bowl of brown. But George's editors said, now you're just being silly, George. Do you guys <laughs> know if this is true? <laughs> you guys rock. Love Sir Pete of Longwood. Breaker of wind, smoker of the dank, the somewhat burnt. Oh, buddy, you stay silly. Yeah, I I have never heard this one. I'll just uh, I'll just say that. So yeah, maybe maybe it's true. Salador think, soup. I think this is solid. Yeah, this is solid it's intel. Solid intel. Yeah. <laughs> and we have another email from Archmaster Rennie for this week. Lord Sterling and Lady Kristen of House. Not sure how to spell that. I do indeed pledge my intellectual sword to your service in confidence that you will never ask me anything that would dishonor it. I like your new feature, delving into more in-depth analysis. On to my thoughts on this episode. Oh, cowardly stupid Theon, you shouldn't have done it. Oh, brave cunning Osha, you go, girl. Great to see Ghost. I hope we get to see him again in Season 8. And how many resonances does Corrin Halfhand's line have? You can't tame a wild thing. Meanwhile, in Karth, she has a talent for drama, says the Spice King of Daenerys, one of the best insights about her anyone has had. 
We're conditioned to be on her side, but the Spice King's analysis of her situation is completely accurate. Tywin's assessment of Arya is quite is equally accurate. You're a sharp little thing. She is sharp in every sense of the word. Much as I love Tywin and Arya scenes, I don't like the story Tywin tells about teaching Jamie to read despite his dyslexia. It's just too contemporary and doesn't fit. Shall I start complaining in detail about Talisa yet? Nah, maybe later. For now, I'll just say the whole Where are my dragons? plot is even more annoying. Archmaster Rennie. <laughs> Thanks for writing again, Archmaster. Glad you made it this week. Salt and smoke? Is he a ham? Hi guys, uh, this is Patrick. And I uh, just wanted to point out that Craster is a pig farmer and little Sam was born in the smokehouse uh, during the time of the Red Star. And he's literally promised to a king to be the king's heir, a.k.a. a prince. So I'm not saying that Little Sam is the prince who is promised, because I'm not sure there is a single prince who is promised. But if there is a single, it's only one guy. Probably Little Sam. Just saying. But who knows? Love the show. Love you guys. Great job. Hey, guys. It's your boy, Sir Patrick of the Rearview, calling in from... um. Not so sunny Pennsylvania, where I listen to your podcast while delivering papers in my lime green Lamborghini Countach. Um, your show really helps me wake up in the morning while I'm bagging my papers in my car. And, uh, it helps me get my little, like, dopamine levels up while I'm drinking my coffee and just listening. And you guys will say something. I hadn't thought of, and I'll be like, whoa, and that'll help me wake up, and then you'll say something, and I'll be like, I can't believe you missed that, and then that's when I really wake up, and, <laughs> and it really gets me going, awesome. and uh, so I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. I wish I had iTunes so I could give you a five-star review, but I use an uh, Android podcast device, so uh, sorry about that. It's okay. What you can do is uh, get a free Audible trial with our affiliate link at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. And um, that that really does help us out. So, uh, and plus, you get a free audio book, which you can really enjoy. And even if you're not impressed and decide to cancel, it still helps us. So we'd appreciate it if you try. Also, I am totally jealous of the lime green Lamborghini Countach. I uh, just wanted to clarify a few things uh, regarding. And thanks for playing. All I didn't realize that you guys had played my messages because for some reason I hadn't finished listening to that uh, last one. Um, yeah, sorry, man. We didn't check the voicemail the for a while. One, Forgot about it. And uh, Kristen said that she yelled at me last time. And I was like, she, did she? And then I was like, oh, I had, hadn't even finished the Ravens calls. Anyway, so I guess, uh, first of all, like, I don't, all right, so so uh, Sir Peter's um, messages are hilarious. Ah, Sir and, Peter of Longwood. I don't even know for sure if he's kidding because... I really do feel like there are all these little like tongue in cheek references and things in uh in uh the Germ's writing. Like it's sort of like his own like sandbox where he just puts all his favorite characters and you know, changes them just enough and it's hilarious it up and does whatever he wants. But uh Yeah. 
I really do think Barristan Selmy is Batman. And well, let me tell you why. Uh, he fought the Smiling Knight, first of all. Oh, the Joker. Who the hell is the Smiling Knight? The Joker, that's great. He's the Joker. He's like a one-to-one analog. You, you know who the Smiling Knight is. He is Elseworlds Joker. No, like, hands down, no doubt about it, bar none. The most evil, like, he was, he's compared, okay, and he's compared to, um, he's the Gregor Clegane of his time, uh, half the size, but twice as evil. Twice as evil as, as the mountain. Okay, so, he's the Joker, he's the smiling knight, and, uh, Barrison fought him, and he even had a sidekick, uh, Jamie. I don't know if that makes Jamie Robin or whatever. Um, but, <clears throat> sorry, Barristan Selmy is Batman. Fought the Smiling Knight. Scaled a tower with a grappling hook on a covert rescue mission and fought his way out. Great point. Uh, he's Batman, okay? Um, since you're comparing Smiling Knight... Well, like once you you smiling knight is just this jump off point where you realize that okay so Barristan is Batman and then you know you're comparing him to Gregor Clegane and then you realize wait Gregor Clegane hmm he's infused with this black serum that makes him even stronger and his face turns black and he gets these red eyes like so that's Bane he's Bane well I'd never People thought about argue this that. Uh, well, Bane's super intelligent, whatever. Okay, he's Bane, he's Salman Grundy. He's Elseworlds, it's Elseworlds. This is Germ's Elseworlds Bane. And once you put that together, Dude. then you look at his brother, the Hound, and you realize he's Two-Face. Oh. Like, Wait, but he doesn't have the coin. Whatever, it's Elseworlds. The coin is the Bravosi coin. Look at that coin, that's Two-Face's coin. And on and on it goes. You've got the family that's the Starks. They're Tony Stark. The banners have uh, always helped the Starks. Well, they don't always help the Starks, like in World War Hulk. Oh, so, that's uh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and there's there's all this punnery, like, uh, you know, Daenerys is pretty much serenade backwards. So, Song, she's the song on John's the Ice and Fire. Or, uh, you know, Roos Bolton, he puts on an elaborate ruse. And, you know, he raped Ramsey's mom under a noose. Re noose. Um, or, uh, Ramsey is a brand, you know, it's a company that makes bolts. And then there's his relationship to Locke. And, you know, all this, you know, all, there's all these, like, classic rock shout outs, like the Weir trees are named after Bob Weir. Bob from Weir, Dead right. Dead, who have all that tree imagery. Yep, that's true. On their shirts, and, uh, it just goes on and on. So I don't even know if there really was, like, an orange chariot that, like, leaps over shit. <laughs> Um, or, or any of this, uh, that stuff. So yeah, uh, that's my whole point. And, uh, I love this show and I love being included in the conversation. Wow. That just totally blew my mind. Thank you, sir. Patrick of the hindsight and of the rear view. Hi guys, it's your boy, Patrick of the hindsight. There's no way that um, Tywin knows it's Arya because there's no way he wouldn't use that to his advantage. Uh, 
Tywin is extremely perceptive, but he also turns a blind eye to certain things, kind of like Stannis. Um, so yeah. But uh, anyway, so some of the more interesting points, uh, the whole demon monkey scene, um, there's a parallel there where the people think that the Lannister is the one really pulling the strings behind the Mad King. Uh, you know, the uh, history repeats thing. Um, Rickon smashing the nuts, you know, he's a, he's a shaggy dog. Uh, the name's the wolf. It uh, tells you about the, the character and the destiny of the person who named them. So he acts like a shaggy dog just rambling about, no focus. And then also a shaggy dog story is a story that goes nowhere. And that's kind of what, you know, spoilers. Um... Uh, by the way, Quaith, uh, I believe in the books she says something about beware of the mummer dragon. Uh, Jorah says Danny has a gentle heart, but she's, you know, threatening fire and blood in the same episode. And, you know, the, like I said about the whole, uh, killing better men thing with Randall Tarly, we're gonna see, there's, there's this touch of Mad Queen that, uh, that I think is, is, is neat. Um, you know, the dragon has three heads could all just apply simply to Danny. And, uh, you know, it could be like there's three phases of her personality. You know, when, when she's more of the meek, you know, uh, subservient to her brother in Caldrogo. And then when she starts becoming the white, the righteous breaker of chains. And now we see the third head where she's t sort of devolving into the Mad Queen. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, finally, Gendry doesn't fight with a good stance because he's a Baratheon, and Baratheons are all about power, not technique. Baratheon, I think, deliberately sounds like barbarian, and the only reason I think this is truly significant is it's just one of a mountain of evidence that there's no way in hell Robert Baratheon could have ever defeated Rhaegar in single combat, and I don't think Rhaegar's dead. Um, I think Rhaegar is Jack and Hagar, but that's just something I think. I know he didn't die in the Trident, though. There's no way in hell. On the subject of Littlefinger and revenge, uh, just what you guys are saying, first of all, I don't think Littlefinger has had true feelings for anybody in his life except for lust, contempt, jealousy, you know, those those types of things. I think in that respect, he is a pure character and probably sees himself that way. Uh, the same way sociopaths are going to have this grandiose ideal of them, latch on to their, what they sense uh, is pure, and they are pure in a way. They're pure evil. They're not hampered by, uh, you know, empathy. They're, there's just this, uh, you know, and I think that his most pure motivation is revenge. And like he says, there is no justice other than the what we create for ourselves, something like that. So when you say, you know, he believes he's in the right, I don't think he believes there is a right. Um, all that really matters is what you create. And, uh, yeah, so I think uh, revenge, bringing Ned Stark's body to Cat, he's getting revenge on... Uh, Ned, but also on his brother Brandon vicariously, and he's getting revenge on Cat too, for 
you know, rejecting him. But also, I think he's getting revenge on everybody in Westeros who he perceives as having a bigger dick than him, which is everybody but Varys. And, uh, yeah, that's Mr. Littlefinger. Um, by the way, um, it's, it's heavily implied that he's got a small dick. I mean, Littlefinger, little Peter Baelish, um, with his whole, like, I mean, just look at how he acts. Um, and so, you know, in, uh, lumping that together with my whole, uh, don't trust the spider hypothesis, you know, spider is Baelish to the next degree. So, He's little finger, Varys is no finger. Just, you know, food for thought. Um, just want to reassure Kristen, King's Landing is going to be destroyed. I forgot to put that on my list of things I'm absolutely certain of. It is going up in flames. Chekhov's gun, they've been foreshadowing it all this time. It's been, you know, you've seen the ashes of it, or the ruins of it in uh, Prophetic Dreams. Okay, there's a little Easter egg in um, Season 7, Episode 7, when they're right outside on the ship, and uh, Mr. John is talking to Tyrion, asking him about uh, what's the population, and right when Tyrion tells him a million people, um, you see the light glint off of uh, Longclaw's eye, as though... As though somebody, some otherworldly force is kind of winking at the notion that there's a million souls um, maybe going towards the Lord of Light. Because if you think of it, if they don't get burned up and fed to the Lord of Light, then they're going to become whites and then they go to the Great Other. So I think that's what it's really all going to come down to. And maybe Cersei will actually be the one that saves the day by blowing the shit out of everything. And you know, only death pays for life, so a million souls probably pays for the realm. And that's my two cents there, so thanks and keep up the great work. Thanks for all the great feedback this week, everybody. All right, that's our show, episode 58. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Next week, we'll be covering season two, episode seven, A Man Without Honor. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. And if you'd like to write in, you can email us. Yes, at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Imp slap. Check out our Facebook page at <laughs> facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. And thank you to the new uh, likes this week. We got seven new likes this week, so thank you very much. Nice. So, yeah, if you have a chance, um, feel free to stop by on Facebook and like our page. And we're always happy to receive new iTunes ratings from you guys as well. So that would really help us. Yes, and, thank um, you very much. We have forgotten to get around to reading our recent ratings and reviews on iTunes, but we'll do that next week. Yes. We'll, uh, we'll go through and read some ratings that you guys have left us. Or reviews, sorry. Um, yeah, sound good, Kristen? Sounds good to me. All right. That's our show, everybody. 
Thanks for listening. They attacked me. They threw a cow pie at you, so you decided to kill them all. They're starving, you fool. All because of a war that you started. You're talking to a king! Imslet! And now I've struck a king. Did my hand fall from my wrist? Where is the Stark girl? Let them have her. If she dies, you'll never get your Uncle Jamie back. You owe him quite a bit, you know. Yeah, Jon Snow doesn't know that there are unknowns that he does not know are unknown. (laughs) (laughs) My computer apparently hates me now. (laughs) It joined the club? Sorry, I don't know that. Oh, is that Alexa? Yeah. Can you imagine if he took Longclaw and just stabbed her in the heart? This would have been over way sooner. Yeah.